Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. We are packed today. So much to get to coming out of uh, an absolutely incredible sports night into the wee hours when you include what's happening at the Olympics. Uh, Of course, we'll get to the Jets' big win over the Minnesota Wild and another gold medal for our Canadian women. What a win last night over the United States. Massive television audience, even with the late night start. And um, we're going to get to all of it. Murata Tesh of The Athletic will join us first up on the program in just a few minutes. Break down Mark Scheifele's monster night and uh, the run that he and Blake Wheeler are on. And obviously an absolutely massive win against the Minnesota Wild last night for the hockey club. First heading into tonight, first ever visit of the Seattle Kraken to Canada Life Center. So all that coming up. And uh, we are definitely going to give some uh, airtime to the uh, great gold medal victory of the Canadian women. Um, we're going to head out to the nation's capital. Ian Mendez of The Athletics going to join us. Um, talk about Marie-Philippe Poulin, uh, the incredible rivalry between Canada and the States, another gold medal in the Olympics. And, uh, you know, what this might be able to do for the future of women's hockey and for these athletes to be able to, uh, you know, play professionally here in North America. Um, we'll also hear from Coach Dave Lowry before the end of the program, teeing up tonight's visit of the Kraken as well as a number of the other top stories in the world of sports. Uh, Welcome to everyone with us on YouTube. Shout out to everyone listening on podcasts as well. If you are a podcast listener and you have the opportunity to uh, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify and just give us a little uh, rating, uh, five-star rating and maybe a little review always helps us. And of course, for everyone on YouTube, if you haven't already, hit that red subscribe button. Make sure you're subbed and uh, joining us daily here at 1 o'clock when we do it live or a little later on if you can't join us on the live broadcast of the program. Uh, before we uh, welcome in Michael Remus, I do want to give a big thanks to the sponsors that make Winnipeg Sports Talk happen each and every day, including F Apparel, Vita Health Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, and of course, Cool Bet Canada. Uh, let's get things going and welcome in the CTO, Michael Remus, to uh, break it all down. Rima, what's up? What a night last night for sports fans, starting off with a big win, a very needed win for the Winnipeg Jets on home ice. Oh, yeah. What a what a game for the Jets, you know. We, you and I were joking about our, you know, viewership went uh, way down on, on People were depressed. They didn't want to hear us. They yeah. knew what we were going to be talking about and figured that they'd it's, sit this one out. The Tuesday podcast, in terms of numbers, uh, you could tell that it was after a depressing Jets loss to the Blackhawks. So, you know, the rematch for Minnesota last night, there was definitely some excitement, uh, full capacity allowed, although it was not, it was not quite there. We'll get to that later. But as far as the on-ice play, what a, what a game it was. Mark Shifley, you know, we had pretty much ragged on him all All-Star break saying, where's this guy been? And all he's done since they've returned is score. And he scored three of them yesterday, chipped in an assist. And Blake Wheeler, who I'm still like, when he was hurt in that Vancouver game, we're like, oh, he's playing so well. You know, he's going to miss the rest of the season. And, I mean, his numbers in the last, uh, in the last bit here are uh, out of this world. He had, uh, you know, the huge game against Nashville. Uh, with a five-point game and he had four assists night yesterday. Um, those guys are clicking, and you got the cop, uh, sorry, Connor Perfetti. They did well. I mean, what a game last night! Great, it was a great night. And then they, oh yeah, the gold medal game. Nice staying up till like uh, 
you know, 1.30, watching the medal ceremony, all that. So I'm in a good mood today. We got we do it all again tonight. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and man, it was great to be back in. And obviously the building wasn't full, but to have, you know, 12,000 or whatever they had in the building last night and treated to a big win for the Winnipeg Jets was great to see, I think, for fans. Awesome for the organization. Awesome for the city, to be honest. Mike McIntyre's got an interesting piece, and we'll talk about this over the next few days, um, you know, especially as we see how this homestand goes, what the, what the crowds are like. Um, but the real challenges coming out of this round of restrictions with where we're at with the pandemic to to fill in the building. Um, but I'll tell you what, it was fun to be a part of last night. I mean, a lot of people with smiles on their faces leaving out. And I will tell you, Remo, um, went by BP after the game in City Place was the place to be. We had representatives of TSN, of Sportsnet, of the Free Press, of Winnipeg Sports Talk, not Autocorp as well. Trevor was by. Um, and... You know, getting together with friends, seeing people you hadn't seen for a while, cheersing a nice Jets victory, and then sitting back and watching Canada take on the United States. It was a, it was a heck of a night and a, a little bit of return to normalcy after a few really tough months, um, you know, here, uh, certainly for the organization and for fans that haven't been able to get out, see their team and do some of the things that get them through this brutal Manitoba winter. Yeah, where was my invite? I, I just went home after the game and watched it alone uh, on the computer. What? You didn't want to let me know? Hey, we're all going to BP. What the? I was there. You didn't want to tell me to walk across the street? Come I, on. I kind of forgot about that. Um, yeah, actually, you were. Let me ask you this, because <laughs> you were up in the uh, in the booth last night doing the Minnesota Wild radio booth. Um, yeah. It's always interesting to hear the perspective of the of the visitors. I mean, and you were uh, eavesdropping on the broadcast all night. I mean, what the, what did the Wild guys have to say about what they saw last night, especially considering what I think everyone expected, which was going to be more the same of, of last week's game and um it didn't really uh, transpire that way yeah they were just saying how um it was just like a regular game i think everything that happened last week stayed last week and this was a new game you didn't have any of that spillover um you know i think the the jets came out they came out pretty good stasny had a chance in close he got robbed and i remember the jets had like a three on one or something where they kind of made one too many passes and didn't score and then minnesota scores on that, you know, fluke goal off Erickson X leg. And you're like, oh no, here we go again for the Jets. And the Wild really, I think the Jets had the first half of the period, first period, and the Wild did the second half. And you kind of thought, okay, it's going to be the Wild's game. You know, they have their record when leading after one was very strong. And, you know, who do they have? They had uh, Brodino and say, okay, we got to bring it for those next two periods, keep going. Well, they, they weren't the same team in the periods two and three. I think the Wild broadcast was definitely surprised um and i think it was definitely disappointing because you know usually you ask for like a player for radio and i think after after the game and after the second intermission they they didn't give it the broadcast any any players so uh, i thought that was interesting but it was uh i mean a great game for the jets the kind of game you needed you needed your big guns to show up and they did um so it was uh i, I mean a great great night of entertainment again back again tonight against the crack and where a game you know, you're kind of snipping on the heels here in the playoff chase, outside chance. But you need to, you know, if you want to get into the playoffs, you got to beat teams below you. Now, they haven't done that consistently. We saw that earlier this week. But, you know, the Jets always keep sucking us in with these uh, with these great performances. So, uh, well, you know what? As disappointing as Monday night was, to your point, um, what did we say? Coming out of the All-Star break, there's 40 games remaining. We broke it down into eight five-game segments and said that they need to win three of five in each eight-game segment. And 
you know, mix in probably four or five single points in overtime if they're unable to win. Well, as disappointing as that game was, uh, three, one and one, seven out of 10 points coming out of the break. So they get a green check mark on WST on our list. And we now begin the uh, second five game segment tonight in the second of back to back games against the Seattle Kraken. And, you know, just before the show, Remus, we were kind of looking at it. And I think we'll probably sort of do this going forward trying to break things down in uh, in a smaller level. I mean, these next five games over the next week and a half, tonight against the Seattle Kraken, um, far and away the, the weakest team standings-wise that the Jets will take over this, uh, this five-game period. A home game against the resurgent Edmonton Oilers on Saturday afternoon, uh, and then a trip to Calgary to take on the hottest team in the Western Conference and probably all of hockey, uh, the Calgary Flames, with another 3 p.m. game, part of a long weekend. And we'll, of course, get back at it on Tuesday, getting ready for a trip out to Dallas against the Stars. That might be the most important game of all of these five. I mean, you really do need to get a regulation win against Dallas and, you know, move up a little closer to them. And then the fifth and final game of this next five-game segment is on the road against the number one team in the West, the Colorado Avalanche, who is still set, I think they're 35-9 and nine right now, the class of the West right now in the National Hockey League. So. Um, you know, while they got the job done last night, I think can look back and feel really good about the way that um, that game turned out. Um, no days off and mm. definitely need to avoid, um, you know, sort of a lethargic performance like we saw on Monday. But so far, so good. I mean, we asked and said this is what this team was going to need to do. Um, and they've done it at least through five games and the biggest story around the team. And we can't ignore it. And we've mentioned it already. Um, the monster play as of late of Mark Shifley and Captain Blake Wheeler. A natural hat trick last night for Shifley. Four-point night for Blake Wheeler. I mean, he's had a five-point game and a four-point game in the course of the last, what, five days? Um, and listen, there's been so much time and air spent on Mark Shifley um, on this program and around the media and certainly amongst fans. And there's a simple reason for that. He's been the top guy here for a long time. And the way this team is built, if Mark Scheifele's not going, this team isn't winning. Um, and listen, that's a lot of pressure on a star player. Uh, but man, has he come back and delivered. He spoke about, you know, getting away, getting to the sun, getting away from restrictions for a little bit and enjoying his time off. And um, he has come back and being the player that I think both fans and the organization knew that he could be um, that was missing at times in the first half of the season. So um, you know, hard to imagine from an individual perspective, uh, the second half of the season starting any better for both Shifley and Wheeler. And um, those were the guys that were making it happen last night in a huge win against a very good Minnesota Wild team. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Mark Shifley's been, and we were, again, we were saying it needs to be better and it needs to be better. And I always laugh at Jeff's like, yeah, but he can flip the script here pretty easily. And we knew Mark Shifley was capable of this, but we just weren't seeing it. And, and he scored in every game since the return of, to the break. All chipping in, you know, he had a 2.9, a 3.9, so, and a 4.9 yesterday. I mean, you look at his season line now, it's looking pretty good. 40 points in 41 games. You know, almost, you know, just about a point per game player, and that's what we've expected of him. So, you know, sometimes, you know, a season is not exactly going to be linear. You have your hot streaks and your cold streaks, and he is hot right now, and so is Blake Wheeler. I mean, those two guys uh, together have been great. And then you had, you know, Cole Perfetti making an impact yesterday with that pass to Kyle Connor, springing him for, I don't know if that, we want to call it a full breakaway, maybe a partial breakaway, but the vision there, 
seeing uh, what he described as he saw that the defender hadn't pivoted yet and just whipped a pass on the tape to Kyle Connor, zooms in one-on-one with Cam Talbot and puts it through his legs. Um, you saw the Jets' top two lines, uh, their skill yesterday. Um, so, you know, again, it's very, very good performance, but can you follow it up again against a team that's below you in the standings? And they didn't do that on Monday against Chicago. We thought, oh, they had this great performance against Nashville. They're going to hammer the Blackhawks. Can they do that tonight? We do have a couple other topics as well, Huss, from the game. Um, Connor, Connor, a lot of people in chat talking about Connor Hellbuck's puck handling. There were like three or four. You know, they didn't result in any goals against, but makes you a bit nervous when he's going outside the crease. And you think he had three oh. or four times last night. Is Mitch is Mitch in the chat right now? Yeah, he because, is. Because um, the shock caller, the shock caller needed to be deployed a few times last night. And I was telling you off air, mm. and, and I'm and I'm sure anyone that was at the game can um can understand what I'm about to say. There is almost nothing funnier uh being in the stands at Canada Life Center during a Jets game than listening to fans around you what they say when Connor Hellebuck is going out on one of his trips outside the crease to play the puck. It's a combination of uh, of being tense, of horror, of assuming something really bad is about to happen. Um, and sometimes there's a little bit of comedy involved as well. And listen, the guy's the rock of this team. The bottom line is he's there to stop the puck. But oh my God, does he sometimes make things difficult for himself and complicate things with the uh, wandering out of the net. And it was on display at least three times last night. Some very hairy moments for the team and their goaltender. There was even, a, I mean, it got so, uh, you know, so, so rough for him behind the net that at one point he did successfully make a breakout pass and got a Bronx cheer from the home crowd where everyone was <laughs> cheering him for finally, you know, completing a pass without, you know, falling, I don't know if it was falling down or giving it away or some miscommunication. I know Dave Lowry was asked after the game about it and he said, I mean, he's going to defend his goalie no matter what. He's not going to be like, yeah, that guy should stay stay in his net. But he did say, you know, he was impressed that, look, even if he is struggling, he still has the confidence to go out and make try to make these plays over and over. And we know, one thing we know about Hall, Connor Hellebuck has, not short on confidence, that guy. No, so. no, that, <laughs> not lacking in confidence whatsoever. Uh and, uh, and, you know, obviously got the big win last night when the team needed it, uh, which goes to, and we'll listen to Dave Lowry a little later on. And Lowry's sort of hilarious. I mean, he, um, if you caught him last night, um, you know, they asked him, uh, you know, something about, I mean, maybe it was Cole Perfetti with the goal. And you mentioned big goal for Perfetti. I mean, he'd been playing well and you know, sort of, you know, hanging in there. But, you know, you're playing with top guys like that. I mean, you do need to produce. He'd had some nice assists. He just had the one goal. Um, so not quite maybe the uh, the way he drew it up, but to get that deflection in by going to the net was big for him. And Dave Lowry just deadpanned yesterday in the postgame comments afterwards about the goal, uh, say, yeah, well, go figure, go to the net, and, you know, you, you might score, something to the extent. But, um, you know, the message is sort of getting through, and, um, and, you know, they were rewarded for it last night. Doesn't always come that way. I thought they crashed the net pretty good, especially in the third period against the Blackhawks on Monday. Uh, but weren't rewarded for it. Um, but the bottom line is, I mean, that co- combination, I mean, you, we really do need to focus in on that top line of Shifley and Wheeler. And I saw some take from Joe in Winnipeg saying Wheeler's getting carried by his line mates. Dude, watch the game again last night. I mean, uh, Mark Shifley was the was the first one to say 
um, that, you know, really it was Blake Wheeler that, um, you know, the setup that he made on that first pass and, you know, and great play by Stastny lifting the stick to, you know, open up the, um, open up the, the, the lane uh, for Shifley to get in there. But it just seems right now, Remus, those guys are really feeling it. And uh, that's exactly what this team needed. Dave Lowry said as much, you need your best players to be your best players. Um, and both of those guys uh, have been uh, producing in spades over the last little while, and uh, they'll need it to continue if we want to have more fun, upbeat conversations on this program, still holding off hope that the Jets can barge their way back into the uh, playoff picture in the Western Conference. Yeah, what, that pass by Wheeler, you said in the first one, you know, curling around the net and finding him in front. I mean, two of those goals, Hess, were like literally in, in the blue paint, safely tapping in and someone finding it on his stick. That second goal, or sorry, was it the the one on the power play uh, from the wall? Just like that's kind kind of reminds me of the uh, goal like he scored against uh, Nashville or Dallas to tie it. You know, distance, yeah. big one timer, and you know, he, before he wasn't really getting those off. I mean, I remember a couple where they'd roll off his stick or they go wide. Um, he's definitely feeling it right now, and I think we got to sit here and give the guy props because we kind of ragged on him. Uh, for a while when uh, he wasn't producing. So, well, I mean, I mean listen, got, to be yeah. honest, that was fair. I mean, that yeah. was fair. I don't think anyone that watches the Winnipeg Jets night in and night out thought that, you know, they were seeing the best of Mark Shifley, frankly, no. not even close. And, um, you know, and a big reason for where the team was, and I mean, fairly or unfairly, is because they weren't getting that sort of production from, you know, their top line. And, you know, and production is part of it, but also being a leader, um, you know, being having that energy, being engaged. And at times it wasn't there. Um, you know, it, it seems like they came out of the all-star break refreshed, but most importantly, understanding the urgency of their situation. And I don't think there's a better example of that so far this season than Saturday night in Nashville. I mean, you know, they were playing on the second end of back-to-backs. They got just barnstormed in the first 10 minutes. Nashville was all over them. Uh, they were up to nothing. And at that point, the Jets picked themselves up, battled back into the game. That was the Wheeler five-point game. Um, and I believe outshot Nashville 40-22 to 22 from about the 10-minute mark of the first period on and got that huge win. And frankly, that was such a good win in the way that it happened. It made Monday's loss that much more disappointing. But, you know, I kind of said to you, you don't want to keep on beating this horse. But, hey, you know what? As bad as that one was, win the next one and, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll meet the requirements to get back into this, at least in the first five-game segment. And uh, I'll tell you what, wins against the Minnesota Wild in consecutive weeks and a big win against the Nashville Predators on the road are exactly the sort of wins that this team is going to need to have. But they also need to take care of the teams that aren't quite at that level, and that is the challenge tonight against the expansion Seattle yeah. Kraken. Speaking of Seattle, I was going to ask you, Hess, you know, Mason Appleton was the pick. We debated all summer some of the <laughs> hottest topics. Who are they going to take? Actually, that was one of our biggest shows when uh, they did the reveal that day before the actual draft. But Mason Appleton tribute video tonight. That's I, I think that's for sure happening. Hey, yeah. No, I don't know whether it's an actual tribute video, but oh, yeah. certainly or, at a or, timeout. Or do they just a, say uh, at a, a time welcome out, back? Welcome back, Mason. And then he just does this. Or do they have a video? I think maybe just an acknowledging that he's back and he, he played here. Yeah, for sure. Um, although, Sorry, mate. Although what, he was a guest on the show, so maybe he does deserve a tribute video. 
You know, we should do a tribute video. Maybe mm. uh, you know a few photos of his uh, his visit to us last year after mm. the sweep against Edmonton. And uh, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm really looking forward to seeing him. I mean, just quickly, and we'll spend a little bit more time talking about the uh, the Kraken at the end of the program after we hear from Dave Lowry. Uh, but it's interesting, and you know, I think you know for the most part, Dave Hackstall sort of running you know lines in different ways. I mean, Johansson, Wenberg, and Eberly. Uh, as what Daily Faceoff lists as the top line. Jared McCann's got 20 goals on the season. He's leading them in scoring uh, with Ryan Donato and Donskoy. And the guy that I sort of thought was going to be the focal point for the club and maybe their number one center, Yanni Gord, is playing with Callie Yarncroft and Mason Appleton on what looks to be the third line. Um, and Gord's not on the top power play unit either. So it's interesting. They got a pretty good defense core as well. Though Mark Giordano, of course, is on the trade block right now, potentially moving on at the deadline, along with Adam Larson, Vince Dunn, Jeremy Lazon, Hayden Fleury, and Jamie Alexiak. And we do know that Philip Grubauer is going to get the start tonight. Um, and of course, he's had a miserable season after getting a big, big money free agent contract to come in and sort of be the one of the franchise players for the Kraken. And it hasn't gone as expected. And you know, maybe more disappointing for the Kraken just because of the incredibly high bar that was set by the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, and I still think the Kraken, um, the Kraken kind of messed up their expansion draft. I don't, you know, they handed out these big free agent contracts. They passed up a lot of quality NHLers and took some guys that we had never heard of, and they didn't make any trades and acquire any draft picks. So they're struggling a bit this year. And, you know, it, you know, they did have uh, Maddie Berniers, who was their first pick, look pretty good in the Olympics. But I'm curious, you know, how they look going forward, and we'll take a look at them. But it's definitely been uh, a rough season, and you know, part of that reason is, you know, they gave this money to Grubauer, who's not performing like a number one goalie. Yeah, so I mean, all of that. We're gonna get Murat's thoughts maybe on uh, the Kraken as well. We'll focus in on the Jets, and of course, Team Canada's gold medal, Ian Mendez, coming up a little later on in the program. Hey, um, Princess Auto Curling Report coming up later on. Real tough end to the Olympics for Jen Jones. Uh, and Brad Gushu coming down to the final shot, just not able to execute a double against a, a dean of Sweden. He'll now move on to play the United States in the bronze medal game and the Olympic dream over for Team Jones. But everyone incredibly proud of her and her team. Um, but Remo, some very interesting sports media news today coming out of Regina. Our buddy DT Derek Taylor is leaving the rider play-by-play gig and the job as host of the sports cage. And, you know, certainly the uh, rider job is one of the um, top jobs when it comes to, you know, Canadian football. There also is an opening here in Winnipeg that I know many people have connected DT to. I know his wife's originally from Winnipeg. Uh, and he did, uh, you know, plenty of years here calling Manitoba Bison games before. So uh, that was quite an intriguing little tidbit to read this morning on a number of uh, notes that DT is leaving Regina and a lot of questions as to whether he might be coming back to the peg to potentially try to fill the massive size 22s of one Bob Irving in the Bomber broadcast booth. Yeah, yesterday we were tipped off from an email that said, Hey, here's the posting. They finally, you know, we knew that Bob Irving wasn't going to be the voice, but the job posting is officially up now. If, you know, you wanted to go and apply us to be the Bombers play-by-play <laughs> voice, someone e- someone emailed us and told us that you should put in put in your name. But it is a bit of a coincidence here that the day the Bombers, you know, the Bombers posting goes up yesterday, or the CJOB job posting, and then Derek Taylor announces 
he's stepping down as voice of the riders, which you think is be a very, uh, you know, very nice position to have and host of the sports cage. So I don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm not connecting any dots, but it, we'll just look at it and say, hmm, that's, that's interesting. Well, you know what? Hey, listen, this is, you know, who is going to take over for Bob Irving is absolutely going to be a huge story. <clears throat> yes. I'm um, here. And, and to be honest, around the Canadian Football League. And I think there's a lot of Bomber fans that would listen. DT does an amazing job. We all remember the work that he did with the details on TSN during his time there. Um, you know, he analyzes the game as well as most um, and really provides some interesting co content outside of, you know, many of the things that you normally get from a lot of people in the media and has done a heck of a job as a play-by-play -play guy. I know he's got a lot of love for Winnipeg, uh, but it would be pretty juicy to have him walk away from the rider gig and, uh, come on a province over, come back to the peg and take mm -hmm. over the bombers. Um, but again, this is all speculation. It was interesting to know that that is the case. Um, yeah. We'll reach out, see if he wants to come on and drop some news with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk at some point. All right, we're going to talk a lot of hockey. What a night last night. Big win for the Jets. Gold medal for Canada. Um, as we do that, uh, a big thank you to our friends at F Apparel for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. F Apparel has Winnipeg's best custom suits and clothing for men for any occasion. And not just suits, dress shirts, winter jackets, casual chinos, golf pants, untucked dress shirts, and more. Hey, every guy needs at least one suit that fits and looks great. And F's custom-made suits start at just $400. Uh, they're the top choice in Winnipeg for wedding and grad suits. And don't forget wedding parties. If you uh, get your suits from F, you'll get 15% off. Pop down and see them. Find out more on everything they can do for you. 190 Smith Street, <clears throat> excuse me, or online at F, that's EPHapparel.com. Well, February, it's miserably cold. Well, it's also heart month. And uh, you can stock up on your heart-healthy supplements and foods with our friends over at Vita Health Fresh Market, uh, featuring great prices on Winnipeg's best selection, of natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries, not to mention an amazing grab-and-go deli featuring healthy, delicious lunch options like Vitamarket salads, soups, sandwiches, and more. Seven Winnipeg locations, Vita Health Fresh Market, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, and find out more on everything they've got going on over at Vita Health at myvita.ca. And uh, you listen, while we're helping the heart and trying to live a little healthier in 2022, you know it all starts with being hydrated and drinking lots of water. And when you think water in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba, you think our friends at Culligan Water, family-owned for over 65 years in the business, uh, featuring water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, and whole home systems, drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services from the Culligan Man. And if you need water services for your business, commercial and industrial water products and solutions as well. Pop down and see him at 1200 Sargent Avenue. Give Keenan and the gang a call at 204-694-5180, or you can check him out online at drinkculligan.com. All right, let's get to uh, the Jets and, uh, of course, the gold medal for our Canadian women with our good friend Marat Atesh of The Athletic. Marat, what's going on? How are you? I am feeling pumped. I'm so excited about that gold medal. So excited about the performance. Uh, I'm getting emotional just hearing you reference the fact that it happened, let alone watching that game last yeah, night. Yeah, you know, we'll get to the Jets in a second. But, um, you know, once again, I mean, we're going to talk to your uh, colleague, Ian Mendez, uh, more about the game itself a little later on. 
the legend of Marie-Philippe Poulin continues to, uh, to grow. And what's insane about this is she's so far from done. Uh, but becomes the first Canadian to score in four gold medal games. And, uh, you know, this incredible rivalry, full credit to the United States. I mean, they did not quit when they were down 3-0. Um, these, these women on both sides put together some of the greatest drama each and every time they go at it. I mean, the big question is, you know, hopefully this can push women's hockey forward so we can see more of Hillary Knight and Mary Fooley Poulin and Sarah Nurse and whatnot outside of uh, one big game every four years. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the goal. You hear rumblings about professional leagues, uh, you know, growing and, and throughout Canada and throughout other locations. I think it's no... Um, no coincidence that Canada and the United States are at the leadership of, of women's hockey because just look at funding, look at, you know, the college programs, look at the amount of money and effort that Hockey Canada puts into things, compare that to other countries around the world. No wonder we would have, you know, leadership on that beyond the fact that obviously Canada lives and breathes this stuff. Um, so, yeah, whatever support. And I'm guilty of it, too. You know, I I can be an every four years fan or every world championships fan or what have you. But every time I watch the speed is so incredible, the speed that they're making their reads, the decisions that they're that they're making, like every possession is challenged and intense. And I mean, that's a high level of hockey uh, and such an emotional level of hockey as well. The, the gold medal game did not disappoint. No, it certainly didn't. Um, and uh, and it was a great way to finish off a night that for Winnipeg Jet fans uh, started off very well with a huge win against the Minnesota Wild. And listen, I, I don't know if anyone's really figured out this team yet, Marat, but um, like I was saying at the beginning of the, start of the show, um, we sort of said it's pretty clear. This team needs to, uh, you know, you got eight five-game segments and they need to win three of every five games and mix in a few single points. And despite how depressing that loss was on Monday, Coming out of the weekend, you look back at a very tough schedule with two games against Minnesota at Dallas at Nashville, three one and one. They get the green check mark, and it's on to another five game segment beginning with the Seattle Kraken tonight. Uh, and of course, led by fifty five and twenty six, the guys that everyone was talking about needing more from, especially Mark Shifley. Amazing the uh, the five game that streak that he's had scoring in each and every game. And of course the natural Hattie last night for the home fans. Yeah. Natural Hattie with fans in the building with the hats to actually rain down upon him after that. I mean, that's a special moment, seven goals, four assists, 11 points in five games. Blake Wheeler's right up there. I think he's at 10 points in those same five games. Connor Hellebuck's riding a nine thirty over these last five games as well. I mean, these are the stars. These are the ones that when you talk about best players need to be your best players, which is definitely a Dave Lowry quote that is ingrained in my head. He said it many times at this point. Those are the guys. Those are the ones that you point to. And you and me, we've chopped this up. I mean, Mark Shifley's season, we, we've talked about the volume of chances that he's had. You know, it's um, defensive issues or whatever. We can leave those alone today because he's exploded offensively. And this is what we expected. He typically does outscore his uh, his problems in the defensive end. And he was generating those chances. He was just skying one-timers. He was getting stuffed on two-on-os. He was getting robbed by, by goaltenders left, right, and center. But he was there. Um so I don't think any of us were fooled by the idea that he wasn't creating chances. I'm just shocked that seven goals in this five-game span, all of the regressions come in one week, and all of a sudden the guy's joking with media. He's talking about his, you know, his tinted visor and how it protects his, you know, mm. 
delicate blue eyes from the bright lights and things <laughs> like that. So, I mean, this, this is quite a turn. And I think it's important. Um, not Obviously, the Jets need every win. They need every goal. They need every big performance. But on a team that so obviously runs through Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley to have those two guys be driving these results, I mean, they're not going to not play together. They're not going to not get big minutes at this stage. So if they can deliver those kinds of performances, Winnipeg has a wing and a prayer here. Well, and, and and listen, I mean, Kyle Connor's still very productive. Pierre-Luc Dubois is playing very well. Cole Perfetti's getting more the hang of, I think, playing top six minutes in the National Hockey League and was rewarded last night. Um, but, you know, as much as we're going to focus in on 55, I mean, the week that Blake Wheeler's had, I mean, cannot be understated. Um, and, and he was the catalyst for a lot of Shifley's success last night. And, you know, for a guy that certainly struggled... Uh, at the beginning of the season, seemed to really get it going. It was playing the best hockey in a long time right when he got injured. Um, yeah, listen, we've said a million times that the team will go as far as Mark Shifley does, but having Blake Wheeler playing the way that he is right now makes Mark Shifley a far more dangerous player. And uh, those dudes are feeling it right now, Marat. And, um, you know, it, it's helping the Winnipeg Jets start this long climb that they hope to end up being back into playoff contention. Yeah, couldn't come at a better time. And the importance of Blake Wheeler, you're exactly right. Dave Lowry's mentioned this. I've written it. I'm sure we've talked about it. I'm sure you've said it in other conversations. That game Blake Wheeler had against Vancouver in December was special. He was driving. He was creating chances. He gets hurt. And then the question becomes, can he ever get to that level again? Was that a one-off uh, of a veteran with a tremendous amount of skill, but who doesn't dominate the game anymore? Or can he take over games again a couple of times? Can he push and hit another level down the stretch, which I think, you know, if he can do and maintain Winnipeg's in such good hands. And then you, wa- you watch the plays. You, you watch Wheeler attack the, the low slot, kind of going 10-2 and two with his feet, um, looking for that pass across through the seam to Mark Shifley. That's an elite-level play. That's a high-level play. You look at the goal he scored where he and Shifley had communicated about that type of redirection in front. This isn't last night, but this is the game uh, earlier in the week um, where he's fighting for his real estate in front of the net, and then there's the communication between he and Shifley to get that goal. On Shifley's one-timer in that same game, Wheeler was also in front. He was also active. He was also ready for that sort of redirection. Um, He gets the assist on the empty netter last night. Sure, um, there's another tap-in he's able to set up for Mark Shifley. He's not at a point, I think, where the mere presence of Blake Wheeler guarantees Winnipeg's playing in the offensive zone. I don't think we're looking at 2015 peak everything. Like, he just dictated where every shift was played. But I do think we're looking at Blake Wheeler hitting a a new height and maintaining it at, at this stage, which is the stretch run, which is the most important time of Winnipeg's season. And if he can do that, if he can... If he can get himself into those good positions, I mean, he still has that vision. He's That hasn't gone anywhere. His hands are there, um, and he's setting up Mark Shifley left, right, and center. He's getting a goal of his own. Uh, you know, that's that's a great look, and it gives Winnipeg two lines that score, which is what they've needed at least that for, for such a long stretch of the season. Well, and, and you know what I mean? To me, this goes back to last week's Minnesota game, the first game out of the break. I mean, the stench of the Philly game still sort of around the, the fan base, um, but you had a week off, and... Um, I'm not sure whether it was with you in the next day or one of the other guys that we were talking about, but I mean, I was at the game and I was really focusing on a Wheeler and he was playing his ass off and it was a game that wasn't very offensive. And we weren't talking about all these chances. It was about them buckling down and helping Connor Hellebuck shut out the Minnesota wild. And 
I mean, you do need, and I mean, Blake pretty much always brings his best and gives gives his best. I don't think there's any question about that. But to have that sort of an impact in that game and then into the Nashville game in particular, I mean, with, uh, you know, listen, if we're talking about the Jets being in the playoff race in a month, I think we'll look back at that game in particular and potentially last night bouncing back from that disappointing loss to Chicago as um, as two huge games, especially for the captain. Um, but Murad, I mean, the way they picked themselves off the mat on Saturday night down to nothing after getting just, I mean, run over for the first 10 minutes of that game and completely flipping the script for a 180 and then a five point night. I mean, all of these things seem to converge, be converging right now for Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley. And it's a very good thing for the Winnipeg Jets because it's been well documented. And you just mentioned Dave Lowry's quote. You need those guys to be the guys that are getting it done. All that being said, um, I think if this team really needs to be, um, you know, we, we're going to be having those fun conversations in a month. It can't just be those guys. And, you know, the other line has been quite, uh, you know, they've chipped in a lot. I mean, at times, Pierre-Luc Dubois has certainly been the leader at the center position. Um, you wonder how much more effective this team could be if they could start getting a little puck luck and maybe a goal or two from their bottom six right now, as opposed to just laying it all on the top players and saying, you guys got to get it done. Yeah, I mean, that's the unfortunate reality of Winnipeg's, I want to say roster construction, because I'm not sure where those goals are going to come from necessarily. Uh, you know, Kyle Connor, we haven't mentioned him a whole lot. He's on a, a tremendous Point streak interrupted only by the Chicago game he was shut out in, but he's been on fire of late as well. You love that Cole Perfetti pass across the ice to him, and you love that Cole Perfetti recognition that the defender hadn't pivoted. It wasn't just the fact that Connor had a lane. It was the 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 way that the defender was turned. He hadn't turned uh, towards Connor to actually make the coverage on that, that he knew that there was going to be you know a high-end chance on the end of that. That's a nice play to from one, um, you know, great player to be to a great player in his prime Pierre-Luc Dubois I mean some of those penalties of late have been have been more and more troublesome but obviously he's been a huge driver then you get to that bottom six and you know Adam Lowry does a lot of good things defensively metrics wise he's still amongst the very best in the NHL and I think that gets lost sometimes but offensively he's he and his line mates, almost no matter who's been on that on his wings, have been a bit of a black hole. They're not creating. They're not producing. Um, you like you like Lowry in particular to have some success when the games get really properly greasy. I mean, he's had some success in the playoffs. He he goes to the front of the net, which is an issue I think a lot of the time um, for for some of some of Winnipeg's players. So you like the sort of chances he's got, but he's not putting up points. And I don't think I expect. You know, a, a fourth line with Austin Pagansky leading the minutes to to put up a lot of points. Andrew Cops come off of it a little bit of offensively as well. And, um, you know, I think that Cop-Lowry duo is going to be very, very important. I don't think we're going to see a ton of Andrew Cop points down the stretch unless they come on special teams. Um, you need something from them. Can you get it? I I don't know what's going to come from Pagansky and Reichel and, and Dominic Toninato. I think that they're just energy guys at this stage. Um, and... That is only okay if the top six dominates, and this week they have, so it seems to be working. Well, I mean, it, it does sort of compound the conversations that we've had, you know, when things weren't going well for those top players because, I mean, the bottom line is the bottom six hasn't really been picking them things up when, you know, it hasn't been the case. But I'm sort of with you. Um, hard to expect that, you know, really to significantly change. Although I will say specifically to Lowry, 
man, he's had a lot of chances. I mean, breakaways and whatnot that haven't gone in. You would think that at some point, maybe a few more of those go. And even last night, I mean, Christian Reichel, I thought, you know, had a real strong game. Did a lot of the little things that I think the coach, the reason why he's in the lineup, but, you know, then getting some chances in and around the net. So we'll see. This is all happening without Nikolai Ehlers. And Nikolai Ehlers has been a little bit forgotten right now just because of the amount of time that he has been out. Um, with The way things are going with Shifley and Wheeler right now, I can't imagine for a second that Dave Lowry would be thinking about breaking them up. Let's just say Nikolai Ehlers was coming back in on the weekend. Uh, and obviously that's not going to be the case. It'll be a couple more, a couple more weeks. Where do you think the most logical spot? And again, maybe, you know, like sometimes they bring guys back off of um, injury and they're starting on the third line for a little bit. But where did, like, does Ehlers just take Perfetti's spot? Does he go in and play on the offside in Paul Stastny's spot along with Shifley and Wheeler? Um, like, that's going to be a huge addition for a Winnipeg Jets team that's had to really kind of keep their heads above water without one of their best offensive players for the last month. Yeah, you know, it's it's amazing to, to me that we could forget about Nick Ehlers in a way. Um, I mean, you know, natural hat tricks and five-point nights and things like that from other star players do a good job of, of helping that. But there's a decision that Winnipeg hasn't been forced to make yet. And, you know, back when we were talking about Cole Perfetti, is he going to stay? When is he going to stay? What role is he going to play? Is he going to maintain a top six um, opportunity. Well, there was the thought that Wheeler and Ehlers would both be healthy, and that hasn't really overlapped at any stretch this season. So um, now when he does eventually return, uh, and, and I'm not sure how soon that will be, you have to make that decision that has been put off for so long. The truth is, I think the easiest, simplest thing that the Winnipeg Jets could do would be to, in fact, yeah, to slot him into Cole Perfetti's spot. Uh, Cole Perfetti gets bumped down, but the issue is, I'm not sure that there's a belief that Cole Perfetti is a, you know, is a cop Lowry and X player. Um, I, I don't think the fourth line makes sense for him necessarily either. And, and so now I wonder, is there room for Ehlers, Shifley and Wheeler, uh, where Stastny is the one bumped down and um, whether that's all the way to the third line with cop and Lowry or what have you, like, is there going to need to be a major re rearrangement made? I don't think Cole Perfetti is the player at this stage of his career where you're going to rearrange everything to make sure that he maintains that top six spot. But at the same time, it's working. And I think the interest down the stretch from Dave Lowry is to maintain that Cop-Lowry combination as well in terms of a matchup role. Um, I mean, that's maybe a long-winded way of saying I don't know, but I think it makes the most sense to, to make sure that Ehlers gets into the top six. Maybe Perfetti goes down, or maybe it's Paul Stastny because of his defensive conscience. Well, and, and, and you know, and Stastny's interesting in that, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, with Perfetti being a centering, and I'm sure you could play him on the off wing as well, and maybe, you know, maybe he gets an opportunity to play with Shifley and Wheeler, and Ehlers goes into that spot. Um, but I guess my question is, assuming that Dave Lowry is going to keep Adam along with Andrew Kopp, um, you know, who who's the best fit for that line? I mean, Christian Reichel's done a fine job right now, but I don't think that's a long-term position, especially when Nikolai Ehlers presumably is healthy if everyone else is. I mean, if you're if you're putting together that line with the thought of getting more, uh, the most effectiveness out of that third line, who's the player that fits the bill the most? Is it Paul Stastny? I mean, Paul Stastny, I have time for. Sure, you end up with three lefties on that line. Um, everybody can take a face off, and maybe that's a little bit overloaded. But at the same time, all three of them are defensively sound. And, you know, in Stastny and Cop, you have people who produce points from time to time as well. It would also make room for Nick Ehlers, perhaps, to, to take a spot on the top line. 
there was a time, Huss, when we were talking about Blake Wheeler before he was putting up multi-point games on the regular as the player who has that defensive responsibility, who wasn't producing like a first liner, that could slide into that role, play tough minutes, and from time to time contribute offensively as well. I don't think that appetite would necessarily exist anymore, but um, you know, should he come off his, his high level of play right now, uh, offensively, that could be an opportunity. I don't think that's, that's necessarily where they'll, where they'll go with Shifley and Wheeler being so good together right now. Um, I think that that's, that, that particular spot has been an issue all year long. Out of camp, it was Christian Veselainen, ostensibly because they wanted a big player with a little bit of hands there, but he didn't, quite get that job done necessarily. I thought at times that Jansen Harkins could be that Tanev light where the speed is all there and the other two guys on that line um, drive play well enough so that you can exploit his strengths without, um, you know, and, and still make sure all the, everything else is covered off. I thought that was an option. We haven't seen a lot of that. Um, Christian Reichel, I agree with you. He's been a pleasant surprise. He's a prospect that has a little bit forgotten at times. And then over the last year or so, he's become so integral to the Moose. And now he's playing a third line role. I can't find that singular player that is the answer unless there's some sort of reimagining where the where the grit and skill gets combined and spread out through that top nine. Well, you know what? One guy that we haven't talked about very much because he seems to get in the lineup and gets hurt 10 minutes into the first period and is out is, of course, David Gustafson. And it seems like David Gustafson's pretty much ready to come back at some point. And I'll be very interested as to, A, when he gets the chance to do that. And, you know, is it, you know, in the center position on the fourth line or... Does potentially we go and I mean, he would be a guy I would love to see play on the wing for a little bit with Lowry and Andrew Kopp to, to see if they can maybe get a little bit more than they've had. Because I think we've seen from David Gustafson in the American League, at least, um, you know, we know the defensive responsibility and all those things that you want to have is there. He also has been able to score at a pretty good level in that league. And, um, you know, maybe that could help that line be a little bit more effective. Well, count me in. I count me in completely. Uh, I'm a believer in the Gus bus. And, you know, in August, heading into training camp, when we were sizing up who could play on that third line on wing, David Gustafson was one of my front runners for that position. By the time we got into camp and saw Christian Veselainen nailed to that spot and uh, and Gustafson playing with sort of fifth, sixth, seventh line caliber competition in uh, in training camp in the exhibition games, you sort of learned that that was not the direction that the Jets were going. But he was Manitoba's number one center at even strength, playing power play minutes, first PK rotation with Christian Reichel, actually, a lot of the time, and had success in all three of those roles. I mean, he's a play driver at that level, and I think has all of the tools and all of the intelligence to step into that sort of third-line role and poke in a little bit of offense from time to time. I know some folks remember his 19-year-old season when he was, you know, in over his head a little bit on the fourth line as and have perhaps underrated how much of an impact that he's had at the professional level since then. Um, if he can get healthy, and that seems to be an if right now, that should be the spot that he grows into. I'm just not sure that um, given the season he's had, the Jets are ready to quote-unquote gamble on that because they're, they're probably going to want to work him up, not necessarily having given him that opportunity in the past. No, yeah, I mean, if he wasn't the walking incarnation of Murphy's Law this year as well, he'd probably have a little bit more opportunity to have tried a few things. And I mean, it's been an unfortunate setback for him personally being unavailable for the amount of time that he has been. Um, but I do think that if he is healthy and, you know, they continue to be sort of stagnant uh, and they first and foremost want to have someone with the defensive aptitude 
when it comes to the responsibility you need to play against top lines because make no mistake about it, we've seen the way Dave Lowry is running his lines on home ice. I mean, Kirill Kaprizov saw a lot of Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp last night, and you know maybe David Gustafson is a good fit in that situation. Hey, there's going to be a lot of hockey, and as we've seen, the Jets haven't had the same lineup more than one or two games in a row for a good couple months, so I guess everything is on the table. One of the other changes on uh, in last night's game, Rob, was Logan Stanley in the uh, in the game and uh, Billy Hanel in the press box. And I have to admit, I thought that that was the way things were going to go. I really was impressed with Stanley's game actually against Chicago. Um, you know the way he came back, and and I think he's he sort of rose to the challenge. And then of course there was all of the other noise about Minnesota and what had happened the week before, and maybe having a big guy like that might you know nothing really transpired that way. Um, but you know, now with seven healthy defensemen right now and Vili Hainala doing what he did uh, during his time in, um, how do you see things shaking out over the next little while? Um, if you do assume that this was more situational last night and both of those guys are options for Dave Lowry for a game like tonight and going into the weekend. Yeah, for me, I, I have a little bit of overlap between those two ideas. I think that Logan Stanley in the Jets' minds is ahead of Ville Hanel on the depth chart. And, you know, certainly it'd be easy just to point at their games played over the last 365 days or so. Uh, that that would tell you. Um, and in addition to that, I, I think as much as Dave Lowry suggested, no, it wasn't about who we were playing against, Logan Stanley 100% goes in against the Wild because you're expecting a little bit of physicality. I, I, I don't think that's a question at all. Um, but the the truth is Villa Hanela, after a couple of really rough outings to start has really jumped into plays at the appropriate times. He's driven, you know, a bit of offense. He's jumped into lanes. Uh, we, we were talking about his chemistry with Cole Perfetti not too long ago. That's been there for him. And I think it would be a little bit of a disservice to Winnipeg's overall uh, quality of play. If this was the last NHL game that he played this season, there are things that he does, um, you know, at a really high level at this stage. And those early first couple of games jitters or what have you seem to be fading from his game. Um, at the same time, though, uh, there he's been saddled with a minus here or there um, uh, of late, too. And I wouldn't be surprised if Winnipeg is just comfortable with him being uh, on the outside looking in. And ordinarily, that would you know, sort of frustrate me as a big believer in his abilities. But at the same time, I got to say, I agree with you, Logan Stanley in the last couple of games, um, you, you've seen some effective breakouts from him. I like a little bit of hesitation on one particular play uh, breaking out against the Blackhawks the other day um, where he's just, you know, seems to be comfortable and thinking quickly to the point where he can move the puck up ice. Last night against Minnesota, he was playing catch with Andrew Kopp a couple of times in the offensive zone. He's beginning to see seams to attack uh, instead of just firing those soft wristers from the from too far away. And I know he scored twice against Montreal, and everybody's like, okay, he's an offensive superstar. Now, that's not how those shots usually go. I think he's developing a sense of what he can do with some time there. Um, so I, I have so like a lot of time for Logan Stanley as a third pairing defenseman with success as well. Um, as much as I think that Villa Hanela probably has that higher ceiling. Um, let's look at this game tonight. And and the Jets have been a, a confounding team at times, especially against playing teams towards the bottom of the standings as opposed to the top. And we've certainly seen that in spades over the last five games. Um, and I said yesterday, I mean, the Jets have been a team that never really seemed to dictate anything. Uh, especially on home ice. They sort of see who they're playing, how things are going. And, you know, they've risen to the challenge of those Central Division teams 
Um, but then the game on Monday was kind of an aberration. Chicago doesn't play like that. The Jets didn't either. Um, and there wasn't a lot of energy and physicality in that game compared to some of the others. Um, this game tonight is really interesting. I mean, certainly uh, the memory of Monday uh, is fresh in the minds of the Winnipeg Jets with the way things happened. And, uh, you know, they played very well, and the comeback wasn't a great start against the uh, the, the uh, Nashville Predators in their last back-to-backs. Um, but, you know, to me, this is a a huge test. And, I mean, we'll be talking about must-win games a lot if the team can continue to put themselves in the mix where they literally are must-wins. But, man, Murat, we were kind of looking at this next five-game segment with Edmonton on Saturday, Calgary Flames, who are just a buzzsaw right now on Monday, Dallas and Colorado. Um, when you look at the task going over the course of the next week and a half, this is a monster game for the Winnipeg Jets to put up two points. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the concept of these being must-win games, even if they're not literally mathematically must-win, that's a privilege. That's a privilege that Winnipeg gets to have because they've had a strong uh, few games since the All-Star break. And as long as we're having this conversation where every game matters or every game you can sort of squint and see a, a route to the playoffs – that's because Winnipeg has done its job more or less, but we know they didn't do their job against Chicago. It was the weakest team that they've faced since that break. Um, and, and so you wonder what to expect against Seattle. I know Philip Grubauer goes back in goaltending has been an issue for that team uh, throughout the season. And, analysis wise, it's usually a bad idea to lean too hard on one game, but I just have such a strong visual of Winnipeg in Seattle. I was at that game. I, you know, I was, I was happy to be there and Seattle plays such a different brand of hockey than a lot of teams. They defensively are willing to completely swarm and overload one side, wherever the puck is committing a lot of, uh, a, a lot of manpower to it. It could be all three forwards. It could be, um, which leaves a tremendous amount of space at other ends of the rink. So they're very good at applying pressure. If you beat that pressure, as Winnipeg was able to do a couple of times against Seattle, all of a sudden you have numbers in open space uh, if you're able to switch sides against them. And so everybody's wondering, Seattle's goaltending, Philip Grubauer and, and Chris Drieger as well, have had strong numbers over the course of their career. Why are both goaltenders in the tank, despite Seattle generally letting uh, allowing a relatively small number of chances is because I think based on this one game, which isn't a smart idea, the, the quality of chances they give up are so enormous, uh, maybe not in a metric sort of way, but in terms of how much space folks have. So what I would be looking for if I'm Winnipeg today is that same resilience that they showed against Nashville or against Minnesota last night where things go poorly early. They have the, the confidence to stick to their game and keep pushing and accept that they'll be under pressure in certain parts of the ice a lot of the time and just know that those chances will eventually come. And I should think that their overall quality of play should give them confidence in a good way. Uh, hopefully that's not confidence in a complacent sort of way like it seemed to be against Chicago at times. Hey, just before we, uh, before we go, um, uh, just quickly, let's look ahead to this long weekend. Um, 3 p.m. Saturday game against the Edmonton Oilers and then a road game to Calgary for another 3 p.m. game on Family Day, which is Monday. Um, the Oilers have made have gotten certainly their bump from uh, the coaching change. Uh, Vander Kane's doing well, and there seems to be, I mean, a complete 180 to how miserable it seemed a couple weeks ago. And then, I mean, man, the Calgary Flames are a wagon right now. I mean, hottest team around. I'm uh, now first place in the Pacific Division, adding Tyler Toffoli. The Daryl Sutter effect is working, and they're getting world-class goaltending from Jacob Markstrom. 
Um, these two games against the Alberta teams, Murad, are going to be uh, um, two more very interesting tests. And again, massive points on the table for a, a chasing Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost hilarious and it's great drama how many, quote unquote, four point games the Jets have left on on their calendar. I mean, they should have every opportunity uh, to to beat teams that they need to pass. Now, I'm with you, though. I mean, Calgary is unpassable. Let's let's get that out of the way. So just in case I wasn't clear a second ago, but Edmonton is within range. And I the way I break it down Despite, you know, despite what has happened so far in the season, I think Edmonton, based on having added Kane and slotting him the way that they do and finally having a little bit more scoring depth, they're a strong goal differential team uh, compared to some of the other teams in the race. Um, I, I think that they're going to make it. I think that they're going to hold on and continue. Um, but they're still within beatable range for the Winnipeg Jets. Winnipeg has to be able to rise to the occasion and get points against teams like that. Um, so I see Edmonton as, as kind of in. I see Los Angeles, Anaheim, and Dallas as the three teams essentially fighting for the second wild card spot. Los Angeles has it right now. And then Winnipeg and Vancouver are the last two relevant teams in my mind um, who have just based on metrics and performance, like they're looking for a boost. They're looking for something that, you know, they can build off of like Winnipeg strong uh, second half thus far. Um, I, I see Edmonton as, you know, another one of those must win games. And if you could get two or perhaps three points out of that back to back with, you know, allowing the Calgary is just an excellent team this year. Uh, I, I think that that's an acceptable, uh, an acceptable amount of points at, at this stage. And, and Winnipeg will still be in it heading into the week. You know what? I mean, it's a big part of the, the hill to climb for the Jets is all the teams that are in the mix. But, um, you know, what a huge two points last night against Minnesota. And you think, man, if they could have got that two against Chicago. I mean, you're talking about being at 52 points when, you know, the Oilers, the Kings, the Ducks are at 55 and the Dallas Stars are at 54. And that includes that big win in Colorado that they had earlier this week. So, I mean, going on a bit of a run, you can make up some ground and, you know, get into interesting territory very quickly. And uh, I'd imagine that that will be the goal going into these next five games beginning tonight for the Jets against Seattle. Um, Got to get this one and then get ready to hopefully keep it going on the weekend. Yeah, exactly right. Winnipeg, I mean, having so many teams to pass means that there's a lot that's not in their control. The single most important thing that they can do, winning the games that they have, is within their control. And you're looking for signs that they might be able to do that. And as long as you're getting performances like this from Wheeler and Shifley, as long as Hellebuck's running a 930 and his giveaways with the puck don't end up in the back of the net, that's a good recipe. That's a, that's a, a solid uh, bit of belief to fall back on for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I guess... The, the other thing sort of in, in all of this, uh, like standings hopping or what have you, you know, you look at games like that against Chicago. How about early on in the year, you know, the point they give away for that offside Minnesota, the two points they give away against San Jose when they were playing against the Barracuda AHL team as opposed to the Sharks proper. You know, Nate Schmidt said it really well about a week ago, uh, or was this after Chicago, pardon me, um, where Two points matter no matter who they come against, no matter when in the season they happen. And Winnipeg is in a tough spot now in in part because of its inability to take those games that you really feel that they should. I mean, and time will tell. Their performance will tell whether that's something that we're going to obsess over over the next little while, how they just missed it because of those points, whether it goes south entirely or whether that's just an obstacle that over that they overcame and made their second half towards stretch all the more impressive. 
No doubt about it. And one of the points that, you know, has been brought up in the chat room when we were talking about Connor Hellbuck earlier was the Pittsburgh game. And of course, I mean, that was a two nothing game that turned into two, two in a second, one legitimate goal and one sort of gift as a result of, uh, some iffy puck handling and uh, my God, my rot last night was an adventure for Connor Hellebuck going in and out of the net. I mean, Hey, the guy's getting the job done, stopping pucks. You mentioned that nine thirty save percentage, but uh, we're going to need some defibrillators for uh, the fans at the uh, Canada life center. If this continues right now, and Dave Lowry was asked about it last night after the game as well. Yeah. I mean, he, his answer to that was as kind as it could be. He said that he liked that Hellebuck kept, you know, making those plays despite having some trouble spots with them, um, which is which is kind is what it is. And, you know, credit to Carter Brooks for asking the question because we've seen so many of those mistakes o- o- over the years. And then you go on to, I mean, to, to combine the two key games of last night, Mary Philip Poulin scores from essentially the goal line on a rebound. You know, players execute that kind of angle that Connor Hellebuck was giving for free to, to Minnesota last night. And certainly Winnipeg was able to get away with, with a couple on that one. Uh, I think we've seen too many of, of those over the years, and, and I, I don't know what it's going to take to get those to stop. But the freebies are, are are certainly unacceptable at this stage of any season. Never a dull moment around this hockey club. Uh, looking forward to this game tonight, Marat. And again, a big weekend. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Stay warm and uh, we'll see you at the rink or uh, talk to you next week on WST. Right on us. Love it. Thank you. Appreciate it. At WPG Marat. Make sure to check out uh, all of Marat's work over at The Athletic. All right. We're going to talk more about Marie-Philippe Poulin, who we just mentioned and our gold medal winning Canadian women's hockey team. Uh, but before we do that, a big thank you to our friends over at Manitoba Battery, who are the premier stop and go-to guys for all your battery needs in Winnipeg and Manitoba. Uh, with the best prices in town, most automotive batteries are priced for less than $100 with Core Exchange, or they'll deliver it to your door anywhere in Winnipeg for 115 bucks on the same day you order it, as long as you can let them know by 1.30 p.m. And For those of you who like to get out on the lake and do a little ice fishing, Manitoba Battery has the flasher batteries you need to keep you catching fish for the rest of the season. Whatever you need a battery for, Manitoba Battery's got it. 1026 Logan Avenue, 783-8787, or you can check them out online at manitobabattery.com. Royal Sports, our friends at Royal are uh, ready for the, the big championship celebration for team Canada. Uh, just got a little note from Greg over. They've got the, uh, the jerseys they wore last night, all three different kind of Canadian Olympic jerseys are ready to go. Um, and maybe instead of getting the guys on it, maybe it's time to throw a 29 on it with Poulin on the back for um, the hockey fan in your family. Of course, Royal sports has got it all get on down there whether it's for Canadian Olympic gear, bomber championship gear, Rams, Super Bowl championship gear, not to mention uh, thousands and thousands of pieces of Jets merchandise, including many exclusives, the biggest hockey section around snowboards, fitness, and all the cool stuff over on the Kings skate, snow, and surf side. Royal Sports, 750 Pemina Highway. Make sure you're following on Instagram as well at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and special deals. And, um, man, I mentioned that... uh, not Autocorp was uh, out last night. Great to hang out with Trevor after the game. Uh, they've got lots going on with the opening of the Winnipeg Car Lab at Not, uh, as well as an incredible selection of vehicles. 
and amazing prices to get you into the car of your dreams at a great price. Why not get down to Knott Auto Corp at Waverly and McGilvery? You can check them out online as well at knott.ca. And if there's a particular vehicle you've got your heart set on, talk to the experts at Knott. They'll find it, get it here for you at the best possible price and get you on the road in the car of your dreams. All right, um, huge win last night for Team Canada. Um, and one of the guys I just, I always love speaking with Ian Mendez. Um, you know, whether we're talking Sens, whether we're talking Canadian Football League, or the big stories in the world of sports. Ian is one of our uh, favorites here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. He, of course, in Ottawa, dealing with a lot, both uh, at work and in the community. And uh, just before we went on the air today, got a chance to catch up with Ian Mendez to uh, talk about the big gold medal game, what this could mean for women's hockey in North America, as well as some other topics. Here it is. Ian, what's going on? Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, Andrew, always great to uh, to have you on. I got the text from your producer. Hey, can you join Hustler today? And I, I was pretty excited to do this. So uh, always my pleasure to join you. Well, you know what? Lots of great things to talk about. But just before we get into it, I've got to ask you. I mean, you uh, you know have been an Ottawa resident for a long time. I mean, how have this last few weeks been for you and your family? And uh, is there a sense that maybe we're getting closer to the end for what you and everyone's been been, been put through? Yeah, it's you know what? It, it is remarkable. And I don't know what the appreciation level is like for people who live you know, be it in, in Manitoba or other parts of the country to really understand what's what's happening here. That uh, a big portion of our downtown core with, uh, you know, I think there's 30 to 50, somewhere between 30 and 50,000 people that live kind of in this uh, corridor of, uh, you know, occupation. And uh, it's been really difficult. I have uh, colleagues and friends who live right in that spot. I'm about 15 kilometers away, so don't uh, deal with it like they do. But this is, uh, there's a lot of frayed nerves here. And, and I know there's frayed nerves all across the country, and I'm very mindful of that. But in particular, it feels like it's come to a boiling point here in Ottawa. And and, and the only thing I hope for is that there's some sort of uh, peaceful resolution to all of this. But it, uh, boy, this has been the most surreal two weeks I think I've ever seen in Ottawa. Um, I've I've never seen anything like it. I am telling you, we want to go back to having the reputation of the most boring town in Canada. Can we please be boring again i think we would all uh, we would all settle for that well I, I can imagine and i mean you know there's been you know incidents and protests and whatnot in other areas but i mean what seems to have happened in ottawa and it's really just gripped the entire city i imagine it's been tough for you know yourself to you know to work for your family to go about their normal business and i mean and that spreads you know throughout that entire greater ottawa area not just the downtown yeah, and uh, I'll tell you, it, uh, it it's permeated the entire city, and it feel everyone feels like they're on edge a little bit, uh, and it and it's unfortunate, and it, this is now going on to three weeks. I think we're at day nineteen or twenty of this, so this isn't you know, if you had told me three weeks ago that we would still be sitting here on whatever we are, the eighteenth or nineteenth of February, and this would be going on, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have thought, well, what are you talking about? There's no way that this would be going on, uh, you know, nineteen days into it, and and here we are. And, you know, usually you've got, you know, the, and, and, you, and the funny thing is we often say, boy, the senators should have a downtown arena and this and that. It's the one time I think we, we feel like, okay, you know what, maybe not having a downtown arena is, a, is, is a, in a weird way is a good thing. Uh, and we get the capacity limits. Uh, I know that that's happened in, in Winnipeg kind of lifted uh, this week coming up. And so maybe there'll be a little bit of a distraction and a chance for people to gather uh, in Ottawa outside of, uh, of the, of, of the downtown core. 
I, I imagine with everything that's going on in and around you, um, it's been a very weird and different Olympics. I mean, first of all, you've got the time difference. Um, but, you know, even for someone that works in sports, probably hard to concentrate and, you know, have your attention there as much as um, you might normally do in an Olympic winter Olympic event. Yeah. And you know what? I think probably the funny thing is I probably would be craving a distraction from everything that's going on in our backyard here. Like this is the perfect uh, opportunity for the Olympic Games to kind of maybe uh, distract us or seize our, our free time. And I think I agree with your point there about the time difference. I I, I don't know. I, I, I remember going through it uh, four years ago when the, the games were in Pyeongchang and it just it, it it's hard. Right. Especially on the men's side of the tournament when it's not best on best. As, as, as interesting as it is to watch Mason McTavish and Owen Power and maybe see what Eric Stahl has left in the tank and is Josh Hosang going to be a wild card, as compelling as that is, it's not worth kind of, you know, getting, you know, changing your schedule around at 8 a.m. to watch it or staying up at 11 p.m. to watch it uh, like it was, I think, with the, with, with the gold medal game on the women's side yesterday. So I haven't been as invested in it. I'd like to be a little bit more invested in it. And, uh, you know, I know there's a couple of days left of competition here. Well, and, and, and you know, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, certainly from a Canadian standpoint, I think hockey fans in general, we were so excited to finally get back to best on best. And when that didn't happen, I mean, it just took the air right out of the balloon and, you know, through no fault of the athletes that represented the countries. I mean, just the event was somewhat underwhelming. That's not the case for the women's tournament. And we always knew how it was going to end with Canada going up against the United States. And, you know, we spent quite a bit of time talking about this yesterday, Ian. But, you know, for someone like you that's been in the business and covering sports for a long time, I mean, I'm at a loss to describe something in my lifetime that, you know, that uh, embodies what is great about sports than the rivalry between these two women's teams from the United States and Canada. Yeah, you know what? I mean, if you think about the 21st century, and I know that their rivalry really kicked off in Nagano uh, in 1998, but if you just think about the 21st century, like kind of the year 2000 onwards, think of the best rivalries in sports. And, you know, automatically, I think your brain probably goes to early 2000s Yankees, Red Sox, because that was compelling and it was dramatic. Or you think about maybe Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, depending on how you want to, you know, frame, uh, you know, rivalries here. But they're all in this kind of tight window, right? Red Sox-Yankees was unbelievably competitive and dramatic, and it was off the hook. But that was kind of like from 1999 to about 2004, and it petered out. And we're now 22 years into this century, and this rivalry is as compelling and as dramatic as it's ever been. And we saw it again on Wednesday night with that game that really, uh, to me, I think the best way to describe it was when Hillary Knight scored to make it 3-1, I think every hockey fan in Canada was super nervous because you've seen this script before. You've seen it. You shouldn't be nervous with a 3-1 lead. And I think we were all at the edge of our seat, depending on where you were uh, watching the game. And that's what it was. Uh, that's what was great. And even with 13 seconds left, you were thinking about that face off and you're thinking about, are we going to have some moment here that we talk about for for years to come, like the uh, the empty net and the posts from 2014 or uh, the shootout from 2018. And luckily it didn't come to pass, but it it was great. And, and we got to figure out a way to bottle this. And I think you see all the women that uh, played in that game yesterday and the women who have uh, championed this sport for a long, long time saying, like, the time has come to figure out how do we monetize this beyond an every four-year thing? Or uh, I know we were kind of invested in the Women's World Championships too, but... You know, how do we invest in this so that uh, in the regular season, 
we're watching Mary Philippe Poulin when maybe the stakes aren't as high, but the skill level is still there. And she's up against Hillary Knight and she's up against Brianna Decker and some of these players. And so I think that's the next conversation to have, but I, I haven't seen the television numbers come in. I'm sure they will if they haven't already. This is going to be, I think, the number one watched event of the Olympic Games in Canada. And I'm sure it'll be up there for NBC in the United States. And we got to figure out, well, if it's working at the Olympic level, why can't we make it work on uh, on a kind of a professional level here? Well, I mean, it, it is a great question. <clears throat> and, you know, I think it's been a huge challenge. And, you know, within women's hockey, there had been rival leagues before. Like, I don't think it had really been conduct conducive to, uh, because it's a big challenge to start something new, um, to bring it out that, oh, we're just seeing 1.37 average million average viewers for that gold medal game. And that oh, there was you go. well, well, late, late into the night. So that will, uh, that tells you all you need to know about how many people were dialed into that game. Um, but as far as the professional league, uh, Ian, um, you know, we're seeing some real progress for women's soccer in the United yep. States in particular. Um, I know Desiree Scott from Winnipeg's playing in Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes and his wife are part owners of that team. And they're building the first soccer specific stadium for a woman's team. I mean, there are some things that are going forward, but man, it's taken a long time. And it has been that U.S. women's team that's sort of been the trailblazers of soccer. As a sport, hockey doesn't need to be promoted, but from a women's side, it really does. And, you know, you wonder what are the key things that need to have happen to take this to the next level to, you know, begin to have more attention on these incredible athletes outside of the world championships and the big daddy of the Olympics that happens every four years. Well, I think part of the responsibility falls on people like you and people like me that we aren't just talking about it on our, our podcasts uh, and, and platforms every four years. And that maybe we're the ones that need to take a little bit of ownership and onus on, uh, you know, why aren't I following Mary-Philippe Poulin uh, during a regular season? Why aren't I following uh, some of these players? I mean, Anne-Marie Desbien was unbelievable last night as a goaltender. You thought uh, she kind of in some way stole the game. Uh, you know, I, and I even think about this too, and you you correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I don't think Mary-Philippe Poulin's face is recognizable enough. I don't. I, I, outside I, of Quebec, no. I mean, I do think in you, Quebec she has a, a, yeah. a bigger profile, and that's a unique kind of French-English thing. But I mean, we're going to be talking about her amongst the greatest Canadian hockey players, period, regardless of sex, and we should be. Um, and I absolutely agree with you although you know with things like you know that tim horton's card set that came out i mean you yeah. saw the amount of excitement especially amongst young girls for you know the female stars in so i think there are some things that many other people are doing it and you know I, you're right i mean we do need to pay more attention to it but i guess it's also on the onus of you know whether it's the governing bodies or some sort of professional league or potentially the national hockey league getting involved to push it forward and you know have some captivating you know, teams, competitions, and the ability to watch it, because that's the other thing. I mean, you know, you and I could be, I mean, what are we looking for streams of uh, these particular teams going on at, at different times? I mean, it's not easy, even if you really are invested in it and want to see it right now. Well, you know, you bring up a great point, Andrew, about the streams, because remember, and I don't know now if it was 2017, 18, somewhere in that window, there was a women's world hockey championships that was just streamed and they refer to it, a lot of people in the industry, as the doorbell camera game, where it looked like literally, you know, when if you have a security camera at your doorbell yeah. and ring or whatever, and there's like that that kind of weird, um, almost like a fisheye lens. And that 
That's all there was for the Women's World Hockey Championships a couple of years ago. That was the only stream available. And that's not right. I, I think that there's some merit to um, using the NHL. And I, I know the, the template's there, right? Everyone talks about the WNBA, the NBA, that partnership. Uh, but but it is really there for the, the NHL. You'd like to think that the National Hockey League, they have all of the infrastructure in place. They have marketing tools in place. They have teams in place. They have all sorts of logistical things in place that it would be the easiest thing in the world, I would think, would be to fold in a handful of franchises. And I'm not saying let's have 32 uh, you know, franchises in, in professional women's hockey, like in you know, National Women's Hockey League, and you've got a mirror mm-hmm. team for every NHL team. But I do think that there's a, um, a, an ability to maybe have six or eight teams in, in, and, and, and look at Boston and Minnesota and some of those just phenomenal hockey markets in the United States uh, that, that, you know, would probably eat this up. And then you come north of the border and you really feel like uh, there would be a lot of interest if we do it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what you got to do. But you got to give them the ability to, like you said, have games available uh, on on Sportsnet and TSN or, or maybe CBC or wh- wherever it is. It can't be on a doorbell camera and you got to find the stream on the IIHF site or whatever. So I think if they're able to kind of start to build off that. And then the other thing in all of this is this is where – and we always talk about uh, corporations needing to be good citizens. We need some big corporations – to step up and be good corporate citizens here. Step up, and and I'm I'm not even going to say this from uh, it, it, there's an obvious goodwill gesture you can do here to do the right thing and support women's sport, but this is a completely underserved market. Like so, even if you want to look at this from a super uh, you know evil standpoint, just from a profit standpoint, look at this as an investment then, and and think there's an underserved market here for major corporations to jump in on the ground floor and 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 start supporting i know secret the deodorant company really uh went a long ways in 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 that dream gap tour we need other companies to step up be good corporate citizens we have massive companies uh you know tune into any nhl broadcast you'll see big banks big motor vehicle companies uh beverage companies beer companies where are they where are they in stepping up and, and doing the right thing. And I think that's part of the equation here too. No, I I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think that there, you know, we do need some champions to put this forward and to, you know, to, to really spearhead it. But from, uh, from a business standpoint, a sponsorship standpoint, I mean, the goodwill and the opportunity, I think, to be seen as a leader um, in, in growing this, you know, is absolutely there. And, you know, whether it's in conjunction with the National Hockey League or a few of the franchises, you know, I really hope because we've had this conversation before, Ian. I mean, this is not the first time this has been brought up. Right. And, you know, over the course of the last four years, since the last Olympics, especially with the United States finally winning that gold medal, I think a lot of people thought that there'd be some momentum. But whether it was the fighting between the two leagues, it doesn't seem like enough has happened. And then, of course, you get into the pandemic. But coming out of the pandemic into, you know, hopefully next year, you know, before we get to the next Olympics, I'm certainly hoping we're talking about another great gold medal game between these two countries in four years, but also talking in the background that women's hockey as a sport has moved forward and there's far more opportunities for these women to be playing. Speaking of the women, though, um, let's just talk about Marie-Philippe Poulin for a minute. I mean, the first Canadian to score in four straight gold medal games. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about Haley Wickenheiser that has been the woman that set the bar for women's hockey in this country. 
Um, but I think we have a new all-time legend, and uh, no one should be surprised that once again she was front and center last night, leading her team to victory. No, and I think the uh, the mind-boggling thing is uh, she's probably got at least one more Olympic Games in her, if not two. Um, you know, she'll only be 34 years old the next uh, Olympic cycle. So I would think that, uh, you know, barring injury or, or uh, other extenuating circumstances, she would be a lot to be on that team. And uh, it's remarkable. And, and you know, we, we often throw around the term clutch, uh, not loosely, but, but we, you know, boy, that's a clutch player. I'm not sure in the history of this sport We've ever had a player be this "quote unquote" clutch um, over such a long period of time. Like we're we're talking about from the time you were 18 at the 2010 Olympic Games, where you scored a a, a gold uh, medal, uh, a gold in the gold medal game, to 2014 when we all saw your heroics and that uh, unbelievable finish, to this year to some world championships in between. I, I think she's the most. Uh, clutch player in the history of the sport uh, to be honest like I, i'd like to know who else is even in the conversation because some of us will say oh justin williams is mr game seven okay well let's put his resume up against mary philippe Poulez. i don't think it's close and i think the hardest thing to do in sports is to perform when everybody in the rink knows what you're going to do like so i always think about alexander ovechkin i think how is it that everyone knows where he's going to shoot from what he still does it. It's the hardest thing to do. And Mary Philippe Poulin, you know that the Americans' uh, game planning would have been all this woman does is score big goals in big games. So for her to have that reputation and still deliver with a two-goal performance, mm -hmm. it's mind-boggling. It really is mind-boggling. It is one of the – like I think not only will Mary Philippe Poulin be in the discussion for greatest um, – you know, or certainly I think she's the most clutch hockey player of all time. I think now, given her Olympic resume, you start to now wonder where she falls just amongst Olympians. And I know that sometimes we think about Olympians as just, you know, individual athletes versus team athletes. But what Mary Philippe Poulin has done, in my opinion, Andrew, is she has sort of separated herself with her individual play within the team concept to a level where I think we can have uh, the conversation of uh, she belong on the list of the greatest Olympians of all time in Canada. And I, my, my gut answer is yes. Well, certainly after last night, she made another uh, another case for uh, her yeah. to be on it. And you know what's fascinating, just back to the rivalry for a minute, Ian, is that Canada, you know, 2018 notwithstanding, has really owned the Olympic Games. But if you go back over the last 10 years at the World Championships, yeah. I mean, at one point, the United States had won eight of nine. And, uh, you know, I, I think people that just pay attention to the Olympics think that, oh, it's just Canada and they're going to win. But that is far from the truth. And it speaks to how, I mean, credit to the people at Hockey Canada and the women that are putting this team together, um, but the way they rise to the occasion and the fact of the matter is it kind of seems like Mary Philippe Poulet leads the way and the rest of the country and the rest of her teammates follow her. Yeah, you know what? And, and it's a great point because when they when Canada won the Worlds, and again, guess who was the uh, the hero? It was Mary Philippe Poulin last summer uh, when they played that uh, the, the, the Worlds uh, and, and beat the Americans in the gold medal game. Canada hadn't won a gold medal in almost 10 years, right, at that event. And you're like, what? That, that can't be right. But, you know, because of the pandemic and then the Americans were dominant, it was a whatever, an eight or nine year drought. And you really understand that this is a two horse race. And it's just been so phenomenal to watch it. And, and, and to see somebody elevate their game like this, I think it, it's, it's really inspiring to, to think about 
Uh, and I know it was tough. As, as, certainly if you were in the Eastern time zone uh, for, for Wednesday's game, maybe a little bit easier in the Central time zone and certainly a lot easier in the Pacific time zone. I always think, and I thought this when, when we watched um, the women capture the gold medal at the, at, at the Olympics in soccer too back in the summer. I always think, Andrew, of the 9 or the 10 or the 11-year-old girl who stayed up watching and watched Mary-Philippe Poulin and, and, and walked away from that, went back to her rec or her, her, her hockey team and said, I'm going to be the next Mary-Philippe Poulin. Like, I, I got a role model. And it's so important that young uh, women see themselves on television, see themselves as athletes, see themselves as politicians, see themselves as CEOs. We can't, um, I can't emphasize that enough. What, what, what Mary-Philippe Poulin has done for a whole generation here, hopefully, of, uh, of young girls who who hopefully we're going to see the, the fruits of that 10, 15, 20 years from now. Well, and you know what, just on that, because I do want to ask you quickly about the stands before we break, but um, Sarah Nurse's, um, you know, yeah. emergence, top scorer in the tournament, you know, a black woman, uh, you know, as we get more diverse as a country, and certainly the sport of hockey wants to include and get more of your best athletes in there, um, you know, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Sarah Nurse going forward, um, you know, as an individual um, but again, it goes back to a point where, you know, can she help raise up, you know, you know opportunities for others? So uh, we're talking more about this and these great athletes more than uh, just after their big victories on the international stage. Yeah, exactly. And, and and you brought this up earlier. I thought it was a great point. And it's a small thing, but it's a big thing. Those Tim Hortons cards. Uh, I can't stress that enough, how much uh, that means. If you think back, just think back to, you know, 20... 25 years ago, if a kid was was going into to Tim Hortons to buy, you know, or their parents bought coffee and here's your pack of cards and you would open it up and maybe you would get Joe Sackick and you would get, you know, whatever, Steve Eiserman and, and Mario Labia or whatever. What if those girls were opening up those packets and they saw Cami Granado or they saw Haley Wickenheiser or Jen Botterill or, who, you know, whoever you want to pick? Um, I can't, again, emphasize that enough that uh, and you see, uh, like you said, like Sarah Nurse. Uh, being able to do what she did and, and rack up that, that many points. Uh, young girls need to see themselves. Uh, young girls of color, probably even more so, need to see themselves in, in spots where they're traditionally not, not seen. And, and I think this is just a wonderful, um, this is just a wonderful thing that, again, we need, to, we need to bottle this up and figure out how we take it now between Olympic Games and, and use it for, uh, for for girls in sports in the next four years. Well, absolutely. And, of course, uh, you know, the addition of the women's teams into the EA uh, NHL uh, 22 game yeah. is huge as well going forward. It's all just part of it. Um, Ian, let me quickly ask you about the sense. Um, it's such a weird season. I mean, everything's weird right now. And you mentioned the lack of fans. And, you know, hopefully they'll get back in there soon. But the Eastern Conference it was pretty much completely set for the playoffs before we even got to the All-Star break. Um, you know, we knew, I don't, I don't think anyone maybe expected the Sens to be a playoff team this year, but how was the organization handling things in this uh, strange second half to a season with the eyes really already on 2022-23? Yeah, it, it's amazing when you look at the Eastern Conference standings and you look at those statistical probability models that tell you who's going to make the playoffs, who's not. Seven teams in the Eastern Conference, Andrew, have a 100% chance of making the playoffs. The only team that doesn't have a 100% chance of making the playoffs is Washington. They're at 98%. Uh, the New York Islanders, I think, have a 2% chance. That's it. If, if you're one of those eight teams, 
you're in the playoffs unless Washington and Washington's in a little bit of a speed wobble here, but it would require the Islanders getting red hot. The Capitals going into a tailspin. That's the only spot up for grabs. So if you're Ottawa and Detroit, and certainly we've seen it with Montreal uh, and, and, and to some extent Buffalo, you're thinking about the future. You're thinking about what deals can I make? So this is going to be an interesting trade deadline, I think, for Pierre Dorian in that He's going to be a seller. There's a couple of UFAs that, you know, maybe he'll be able to paddle off like a lot of teams will be. But I wonder if he's going to also simultaneously try to be a, a, a buyer in the sense of, can I get some NHL talent for next season? Maybe somebody under team control, uh, things of that nature. He was in uh, your neck of the woods on Wednesday, Pierre Dorian was, for the Wild and Jets game. I believe he's there for the Kraken Jets game. And so people are going to start to think, hey, maybe Pierre Dorian is scouting the Winnipeg Jets, and, and maybe he is, and maybe there's a, a fit there with, uh, with with something that Winnipeg needs or Ottawa needs. But I think the Senators are now at the stage where they got to look at how do we make the playoffs next season? I don't think they can afford to go into next season and have another year where they're on the outside looking in. They've missed it now five straight years. So it's all about building up to next season, building up and becoming a legitimate playoff contender for next fall and i think to do that you possibly go into this year's trade deadline and say okay well maybe i am a buyer because maybe there's a a a young guy out there that's in his 20s that needs a change of scenery and now's the time to to pull the trigger on a trade like that well fingers crossed that uh, you and everyone in ottawa can get some peace and quiet in your (laughs) daily lives and uh, hopefully bring some noise to the arena with fans and hopefully getting back to normal uh ian it's always an absolute pleasure having you on the program thanks so much for doing this and uh uh, to you and your family i hope you're well and uh hopefully better days are ahead for everyone in your community i really appreciate that andrew always like i said off the top always a pleasure to join you have a great day and i'll talk to you again real soon All right, awesome stuff from our guy, Ian Mendez. Really appreciate him joining us. As always, you can check out Ian's work in The Athletic. And, uh, you know, from all of us at Winnipeg Sports Talk, a huge congratulations to the Manitoban gold medalist on Canada's women's hockey team, Kristen Campbell from Brandon, Ashton Bell of Deloraine, and, of course, the workhorse on the Canadian blue line, Jocelyn LaRocque of St. Anne, Manitoba. Um, We'll hopefully get some of those uh, women on the program at some point very soon, but um, made the entire nation proud. And uh, man, it was amazing to see that gold medal win last night. Um, We are going to hear from Dave Lowry. We'll talk a little bit more about tonight's game before we finish up. Uh, But, you know, it's freezing outside right now. I don't know. Uh, Bad news, folks. We went the extreme cold warning. Guess what we have for tomorrow heading into the weekend? A blizzard warning. It just never seems to end. And uh, I imagine a lot of people are having being uh, you know, more than happy to stay home, but they might be missing their little brown jug. And if you want to get your hands on the 1919, the Brood IPA, the double, um, or maybe a winter variety pack, you don't even have to leave the house to do it. Get online at littlebrownjug.ca, order it. Deliveries going out mon- Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. So you can get the great taste of Little Brown Jug without leaving your house. If you are leaving the house, though, you can get it at your local beer store, Manitoba Liquor Marts, or pop down and see them in person at the Tap Room and Brewery down on William Avenue. All right, uh, Princess Auto Curling Report today. Um, It's not a positive one. Heartbreaking end to the Olympic dream for Jen Jones and her squad um, they ended up beating the Danes, but they didn't get the help they needed. And it really ended up being that loss to the Chinese in their second last game 
um, ended up preventing them from making it into the uh, the playoffs. And, you know, a really devastating loss for uh, for Canada. Uh, but just amazing to see Jen back out on the Olympic stage. What an incredible career she's had. Of course, Caitlin Laws as well. Um, it was uh, didn't end the way that they wanted to, but check this out online. Uh, the Japanese ladies, and we talked about just how fun they were to watch. Um, they idolized Jen Jones. They made the playoffs. The Jones ring in Canada didn't. Um, all class, Jen Jones greeting the skip in the third from the Japanese team. They had a hug, which was about 50 minutes or 50 seconds. And um, both of the Japanese curlers just crying in awe of um, the uh, the grace of Jennifer Jones. So congratulations to the Jones rink. Um, it also ended poorly early this morning for Brad Gushu's squad and going up against the great Nicodine missed their final shot with the potential winning shot in Brad Gushu's hands. Wasn't an easy one. Didn't go their way. They will not be playing for a gold medal. But tonight, I believe just after 12 our time, It'll be Canada and the U.S. for bronze in Olympic men's curling. Good luck to the Gushu team. Of course, Briar coming up. Mike McEwen in it. Team Mike McEwen sponsored by Princess Auto. Can't wait to talk to the guys about that. Early March, that gets going out in Alberta. And Princess Auto, in addition to being a huge sponsor of curling and Winnipeg Sports Talk, is the place you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two local locations or shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. And I mentioned what a great time we had at Boston Pizza last night. I mean, listen, the last couple of years, there hasn't been a lot of gathering. Um, but to get a full house or, you know, full capacity, I guess, back at the arena certainly wasn't a full house. Uh, but a lot of happy Jet fans sliding into BP afterwards getting a few cold ones, some delicious Boston wings, a gourmet pizza, and watching Canada win the gold medal. BP still is the place to go. Uh, whatever neighborhood you're in, to gather with friends and watch the big game. And of course, well, with the blizzard warning, you may not want to go out, and you can always order online at bostonpizza.com. Um, we've got some more on tonight's game. Uh, we'll take a little bit more of a look at the Seattle Kraken before the top of the hour. Uh, but first things first, let's get uh, some updates from Winnipeg Jets head coach Dave Lowry going into tonight's game against the Kraken. Can you talk a little bit about the Seattle Kraken, how well you played against them earlier in the year, and are you kind of looking for a blueprint of that again tonight here coming off the win over Minnesota, or what's, what's kind of the approach? Well, I think we have to have that level of desperation. Um, felt that when we went into their building, uh, we found our game. We played uh, we played a real good road game. We, uh, we managed a puck. We were good. Our PK took a huge step that that uh, game, and we were able to generate some momentum. I don't know if you view that as a redemption game, but clearly no one was happy about the game. The you know the one before uh, against Carolina going into that game. You're coming off a good performance tonight. Uh, what, what kind of uh, manufactured emotion, enthusiasm, whatever urgency can you can you come up with tonight? Well, we we have a full building, so there should be life in the building. Um, we realize how critical this game is for us, and what we've talked about and we talk about uh, regularly is is this is. We have to find that consistency. Um, 
we've done a lot of good things, and and tonight's the night that uh, we have to find a way to continue. Was watching the Calgary broadcast on the weekend, and one of the comments that was brought up were, and you've talked about how Daryl Sutter's kind of had an impact on you. He said, "We don't defend anymore; we check." What? Is there a difference in, in can a game dictate whether you defend or whether you check? Do you have a preference for one or the other? I think you just have to play the game the right way, and I think that, that that's what uh, those players are alluding to. You know, it's funny, I ran into one of, one of their players when I was back there through the break, and my question is, is what's changed? And his comment was, was, was that uh, they were now playing the right way. And that is, uh, you know, to win it, to win in this league, you have to be a good player when you don't have the puck. And that's exactly what we talk about: is you you call it defending, you call it checking, you can say whatever you want. You have to find a way when you don't have the puck to get it back. And for us, we talk about the work that it entails. Just one more for me on the power play. It looks like, you know, Blake's trying to come off the end wall and maybe go to the front of the net a little bit more. Beer uh, Luke has been a little bit more aggressive getting to the slot. Is that something the players have just noticed, opportunity-wise, or is that something as coaches you've been encouraging to, you know, because you do have Kyle and and Mark on either side in the faceoff circle that are deadly, but trying to create more challenges for teams. It just seems like you've been doing that a little bit more on the power play of, of late. Well, I think the big thing is, is is you talk about, when you're talking about the power play, you give them options. You give them, uh, you know, you present different situations. You, you show what the team you're playing against, what the opposition, how they're going to defend. You give them options how to break it. And then it is, you want your power play to, to execute and not stand and think. You know, you, you want to see some motion, you want to see some creativity, and you want to see them be aggressive. Dave, you mentioned the search for consistency in the game as coach. Is it frustrating for you that middle of February of this group is still searching for that consistency? I, I think that uh, we have an understanding on, on what we have to do. Um, Obviously, some of the games in, that, that we talk about, uh, we haven't been at our best, but uh, we've had opportunities to win. Uh, those games, we felt uh, were very winnable. Um, but I think we have an understanding of the value of these points and where we are. We've worked ourselves into a, a position where we're within striking distance. And I think tonight you'll see a, a very good team. Uh, is there any update on Andrew? Andrew will be evaluated, and I have no word of uh, exactly what or where he's at. Dave, you've talked about building uh, your offense out of a foundation of defense. Um, and I know that your team has shown really good examples of grinding teams down. A lot of those were low-scoring affairs. But you've also said in the past, this is a team that likes to score. Um, having that St. Louis game, having that Nashville game, having the game last night, games in which you had that foundation of defense that led to offense. How important is getting those games in and having your players have that feeling of scoring to kind of selling that system and keeping them invested in it? Well, I think, I think the big thing is is that uh, you look at the low-scoring games that we've been involved in too and where we've checked the right way, we've created lots of opportunities. Um, 
my concern would be is if you're trying to convince your players that they have to check it, but you're not getting any offensive chances, then you'd have a problem. Um, we've had some games where we've checked and played the right way, and we've been rewarded. And we've had some games where we've created lots of opportunities. Non-game tonight, but having been involved with Hockey Canada before, how gratifying was it to see our women win the gold last night in Beijing? I think it's a, it's extremely exciting, and you, you look at you look at the evolution and how how the women's game has evolved and the skill and the pace and and the creativity. It is uh, you know it the women's game is in a great place, and it's exciting for them. At coaching seminars, have you ever had a chance to cross paths with uh, with anybody involved in that part of the program and touch base with them on different ideas and that sort of thing? You always you always talk to uh, coaches at uh, all levels, and uh, you know being in Calgary with with that being a hub and being involved in the program, yeah, you've had conversations with them. All right, there's Jungle Dave getting his team ready for the Seattle Kraken tonight. Uh, no word on Andrew Kopp. Um, and I think that there's a, a highly, highly likely that he might not be in the lineup tonight. And that was a, um, you know, again, you know, being there at the game without the benefit of replay, didn't entirely see what happened. But I know that I see guys and Drew Mandel had said that, you know, it seemed like a pretty of a dirty hit. Greg Millen spoke about the uh, the hit on the um, on the broadcast. And that could be a big loss for the Winnipeg Jets tonight if Andrew Kopp is not available. Um, but, you know, big one tonight, as uh, he said, uh, the uh, need for consistency and to continue to doing the things that have been positive for the Winnipeg Jets, absolutely mandatory tonight. This is a massive game for the club. Uh, he also talked about the fans and the crowd. And we'll get to that in just a second. I do want to thank our friends over at Nick and Nikki DQ for their great support. And as we have uh, told you the last couple days, a complete revamping of the burger family over at Nick and Nikki DQ. New buns, new sauces, amazing patties, and they were already incredible. So can't wait to dig into some of the new options over at your local DQ. And uh, of course, Nick and Nikki have four of them. The DQ out in Niverville, the DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And uh, for instance, tonight, if you want to get down on a blizzard, uh, the Red Velvet Blizzard right now is featured right now. Red Velvet cake pieces and cream cheese icing looks amazing. Uh, might be a great pickup for the game tonight. And if you're in the St. Vital area, you can order and get it delivered to you through Uber Eats and skip the dishes. And of course, our friends at Canadian Club have been amazing sponsors of ours since they came on board and certainly massive sponsors of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers is the official spirit of the blue and gold. Cannot wait to tip a couple CCs at the stadium coming up this summer. Uh, but in the meantime, you can pop by your local Manitoba Liquor Mart right now and take advantage of great savings for the entire month of February on Canadian Club. Look for the CC display and get great prices on sale for Canadian Club Original, Canadian Club 100% Rye, and Canadian Club 12-Year Reserve. And make sure you join us tomorrow live on YouTube towards the end of the program. Another always fun Winnipeg Sports Talk Marble Race. And uh, we'll be giving away one of those Canadian Club Winnipeg Sports Talk co-branded hoodies to the winner. Um, we'll get to the cool bet lines in a minute, as well as a, a, another very interesting piece of uh, coach audio. Um, but Remo, uh, let's quickly kick this around. And I kind of mentioned it off the top of the program that Mike McIntyre had an interesting piece in the Winnipeg Free Press on um, the crowds or lack thereof. And particularly last night, I know it was announced at um, you know over 12,000. 
which, you know, would I believe be the smallest 100% crowd the Jets have ever had. Uh, and, you know, and Mike goes into a number of the, um, the, the factors uh, that are contributing to this. I mean, we can't ignore the fact that we're coming out of a pandemic and uh, there's probably a lot of people that either can't get in or aren't really feeling comfortable to get in right now. But um, this goes back in some ways to conversations we've had on this program two and three years ago that there was a significant market correction coming, I think, for pro sports in general, um, that organizations were having a tough time continuing to squeeze as much out of the general public as they were. And then you add in COVID-19 and what it's done to the entertainment industry in general. Um, and it seems like it's all coming to a head right now. And, um, you know, for the first time, certainly since this team came back from Atlanta, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of hard work to be done by True North as well as, you know, many other organizations to uh, try to get butts in seats. You know, I'm looking at the secondary ticket market here, the website fansfirst.ca. You can get into tonight's game against Seattle has in the upper deck for $24, which seems absolutely absurd. And I think during the pandemic, you know, we, we talk about, I mean, there's a percent of people that can't go because of vaccination requirements. There's a percent of people that aren't comfortable being in crowds. I think there's a percent of people that, you know, aren't happy with the way the team is playing currently out of a playoff spot. Now, you know, last game was great. You know, Monday's night's game, bit of a bit of a stinker. But um, I do think people are kind of reevaluating how they want to spend their entertainment dollars and, you know, maybe, you know, spending a lot of money on tickets, on concessions, you know, $10, you know, $10 for a beer or whatever. Um, you know, you can get, a, you know, the what the crammed seats and concourse, you know, lines to the bathrooms. You can get a comfortable experience at home on your, you know, on your big on your big TV. And I do wonder, as you know, we've seen it in Atlanta, um, you know, dropping the price of all the concessions and your know, sales went up. I wonder if, you know, the Jets are, or teams around the league and all pro sports are seeing, you know, lower attendance and maybe make some changes to see if they can get yeah. some people in the building. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, and there will be, um, you know, there's no doubt that there'll be, you know, new things tried. And, and first off, I mean, I mentioned this at the beginning of the season. I mean, tip of the cap to True North for, I think, listening to the fans and realizing that they, you know, were feeling squeezed. Um, and hey, first things first, you got to take care of the people that are really paying the freight. And those are your season ticket holders. And that season ticket holder discount card for beer and pop and popcorn this year, 25% off. I mean, that is significant. You go to buy two beers right now, it's $22.50, you use your card, it's $17. I mean, that's a significant savings that certainly the people that are there on a regular basis have been taken advantage of and using. Um, But I do think there's going to need to be some more creative ways to, um, you know, to bring people back, to give them a reason to come back. Um, Because for a long time, it was just simply the law of supply and demand made, you know, sure that that building was absolutely packed to the... Uh, to the rafters each and every night and you know a, a number of, of of factors coming into it and you sort of nailed it i mean the, the way i look at where we are at just in general um is that you've got about 10 to 15 percent of the people that for whatever reason didn't want to get vaccinated mm-hmm. and can't get into games so you're chipping away at your fan base right there and probably losing a bunch of season tickets uh and then on the other side of things I mean, there are a bunch of people that probably went before that have turned into, I don't want to say, uh, you know, the pandemic has had a lot of effect on a lot of people. And tell you what, I think there's a lot more agoraphobes now. I mean, you know, people that are very anxious about being out and being around people now. And 
Um, I'm not sure that there's anything that the hockey club is going to be able to do about that. So essentially, you're take, if that's the same number as the people on the other side, we're basically looking at 70% of the original pie to go in. Um, and then, you know, financial hardships. I mean, all those sorts of things have combined to it. Um, but I will say this, they're doing a lot of work to make the atmosphere better. I mean, last night I was in section 316. Um, you know, they had a DJ behind our section right by that bar, which was uh, great to add to the atmosphere. And the people that were there, I think, were happy were there. They were having some fun. And um, oh, the bottom line is winning uh, is the greatest advertisement around. And I think it was pretty clear that this season overall had been pretty disappointing so far. Uh, but much like the Mark Shifley story, Jeff Hamilton said, you can change the narrative pretty quickly by putting some good performances together. And I think if the Winnipeg Jets can continue to do that, that very busy month of March with a ton of home games, um, you know, if the team can get back into the playoff race, I think we certainly will see some more people come back if they haven't been to the arena in the last little while. But make no mistake about this. Um, this is a challenge for not just the Winnipeg Jets, but teams across Canada, especially. Um, and will continue to be a story and will be um, a huge, huge job for True North and the Winnipeg Jets in the offseason to make sure they're bringing back as many of their season ticket holders as possible. And for the first time since they really came here, putting a concerted effort into selling season tickets, because to be honest, it was pretty much done for them for about 10 years heading into the season before. Yeah, I agree. I do think winning, you know, if the team's in a playoff spot and meeting expectations, um, I do think, you you know, you would have had more people in the building, but I think it, it's going to take time, Hus, for people to come back, feel comfortable. And and again, I think a lot of it does do with the product. Although we do have a comment from Theo Seegers in chat, Hus, and Mike McIntyre also mentioned this in his column in the free press. He says, I don't feel as connected to the team as I have in past years, honestly, since the Patrick Line trade. And I think you lose personalities like Bufflin. I mean, Bufflin comes up in chat. He hasn't actually come up today somehow. <laughs> but he literally comes up in chat every day. I miss Buff. I miss Buff. And even Line, I think people still feel like they have a connection with them. I don't know if you really have that with the team. And we always talk about, and you know, contrast with the Bombers. You know, part of it, too, is the Bombers have won back-to-back Grey Cups. And the Jets are outside of a playoff spot. But you, know, you talk about the connection. But I think there always is that connection you know, the fans have with the CFL players compared to the NHL players. And I don't know if it's something the team uh, looks to looks to address or or what. But I, well, I do think that that is something that that is interesting. Hey, it's an absolutely fair point. And to be honest, I absolutely agree. I mean, I've said many times that, you know, in the last couple of years, this team has been anything but a fun team i mean to be honest a lot of times listening to the guys speak to the media which is eventually going to the fans it has seemed like a chore um and there hasn't been that uh, i mean listen it's the exact opposite of the bombers to the bombers to their fans i mean you're a bomber fan you go to that game or frankly you're just there in the community you see the way they interact on social media they make the fans feel a part of it and uh that's been frankly the opposite with the winnipeg jets for a long time and Hey, listen, it's the National Hockey League. I know they got to trade players a uh, certain certain kind of way. I think they've done a better job this year in trying to expose some more of the personalities through social media. I think their social media's team's done a much better job than they've done in the past, so kudos to them. Um, and then, you know, you lose a player like Line that so many people loved. Um, and Nikolai Ehlers has been out for a long time, and 
you know, it's just that, um, you know, we've said for a long time, you know, getting a little bit more fun into the room, a big reason why I think people were excited about Nate Schmidt coming in was something that they needed. And, um, you know, you hope it'll trend in that direction. But I still go back to the one thing. You know what's fun? Winning hockey games. And they haven't done enough of that. There's been some dreadful games on home ice that we've talked about earlier in the season. We don't need to rehash all of that. Uh, but I do think there's an opportunity to sort of pick this up, you know, get some momentum from what they've done so far, win a few games, get people excited again. And um, that will, I think, connect people to the team a heck of a lot more if they can if they can do that, because the other side of it is it ends up being a miserable, depressing season where the team misses the playoffs. There's huge questions about who's going to stay, who's going to go. And listen, for hockey fans and hot stoves, it's fun. But at the end of the day, the connection from the hockey club to the people that are paying the freight and buying the tickets, um, you know, does need to improve. And I think they're trying to do that. Some of the things are within the team's control. Others aren't. It's just the players that they have. Um, but I do think it's a very valid point. Yeah, well, a couple other things we didn't touch on. I think the weather certainly factor. I mean, you're not oh, really looking. I mean, this dude. has been this has been the most miserable winter. Uh, I think everyone in Winnipeg is just feeling it right now. I mean, it's snowing every day. Yet another blizzard warning. It's minus thirty. I mean, I froze my ass off walking to my car. I don't blame anyone for not wanting to leave. I mean, on the weekends, it's like, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to going to stay home. Like it's awful. But uh, I will say, I mean, if I was had nothing to do, I mean, twenty four bucks for upper deck tickets tonight on this fansfirst.ca. I mean, that's well, really... hey, yeah, yeah. If you're one of these Winnipeg people that only buys something if you can get a great deal, that sounds and, like a uh, good You know, deal. you're more than happy to watch at home. I, believe me, deals are to be had. I mean, that should be yeah. uh, music to the ears of Winnipeggers right now. That you can actually get cheap tickets for the Winnipeg Jets. And like BA said, bottom line, if you can show up, last game was a blast. I agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I'm one of those people that feels like, you know, it's, I mean, I, I think we're lucky. We're privileged to get a team back. I mean, it's the smallest market in the league. We lost a team beforehand. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I'll probably all, always maintain and make sure that I have season tickets because, um, you know, with someone, you know, that's just a fan and I would be anyways, but especially kind of making my living um, you know, I want the team to, you know, I want to see the building full. I want to see that atmosphere. I mean, these are the sort of things that I and a lot of fans live for. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I think in the past, you know, maybe some season ticket holders had felt that they were being squeezed a little bit more, or maybe they weren't getting, you know, real value for their money. And that kind of gets back to that market correction. But um, the bottom line is, um, you know, the team does need to be supported if they're going to be around long term and be successful. Um, you certainly can't fault management for not doing what they think that they were going to do to try to put on a winner. They're spending to the cap right now. Um, and it's a unique situation. And I don't think anything's going to change in the short term through this season. Um, but the pandemic can't be ignored. So, you know, hopefully as we get into next year, we'll get to more traditionally full buildings right now. But in the meantime, if you want to get a great day on tickets, you certainly can down for Canada Life Center tonight, the Seattle Kraken, and then uh, afternoon game on third on Saturday, excuse me, against the Edmonton Oilers should be uh, should be a heck of a lot of fun. Someone asked it. We have had a couple of comments in chat, and you mentioned this to me. Before the show, uh, and I didn't think it was a factor, but some people complaining about the music it too being too loud, and a lot of people want to know what you think of the drum in the three hundred section when they come right in the door and I, start and start banging it. Listen, I hate the drum. I hate the drum so much, and but I understand what they're trying to do because I mean, to be honest, I mean, a lot of fans have just sort of been. 
uh, you've sort of gotten complacent and you're sort of sitting there. I mean, they're from a game production standpoint or trying to get people into that. And, you know, I mean, there'll be arguments on both sides as to whether that actually does it. Um, so, yeah, not a big drum guy. Um, I will say I think the improvements in music and whatnot the last couple of years, especially this year, has been significant. Uh, I personally am enjoying it way more. Uh, and I think Vanessa uh, that says uh, doing the music right now does uh, does an awesome job. And it's certainly been a departure from maybe a far more conservative style of music that they played in the past. And I think people, you know, it's made the atmosphere better. Um, but listen, as someone that has done that job before, has been in charge of game night entertainment, you can be the best game night producer in the world. And if the team stinks or the team's not playing, the game's not going to, you know, people aren't going to be leaving going, wow, that was amazing for the most part. And by the same point, you can have the most bare bones show around. And if the team goes out and lights up the opponent and everyone's into the game, they'll probably be leaving pretty happy. So um, it is more to accentuate the product on the ice, but especially in a hockey market like Winnipeg, it is about that product on the ice. And I mean, I don't think there's been anything that's probably hurt them more than games earlier in the season, like Buffalo and Arizona and, um, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that had people leaving going, man, I just spent two and a half hours there, spent a bunch of money and that was a dud. So uh, you, you rid those games and uh, get on a bit of a roll. And I think people be in a better mood and hopefully have some more asses in the seats. Um, and as I said, you know what, staying in this through this next couple of weeks is going to be absolutely crucial, Remus, because if we think that right now um, there's going to be some empty seats, if things did bottom out on this team and you get into that extended stretch in March and into April with a ton of home games planned for next year, I mean, I think that's when you would really see some significant um, uh, empty seats of people that actually had tickets that just weren't going. And that is the nightmare scenario if you're in charge of selling tickets and most importantly, renewing them next year and getting your customers back. Yeah, I agree. And so I think, you know, we'll see what happens in the upcoming weeks. You know, the, you know people... You know, the mask restrictions being removed, the proof of vaccination rules being removed. And I mean, that's, we're a month away from both of those being on. And I do wonder if we'll see a spike then. But again, people are just responding to all the comments. I don't think this is a Winnipeg specific problem. I think this is, uh, you know, sports thing. And so, we'll, but uh, I do agree winning, the team winning is a big factor in a couple stinkers that we've had. And, um, you know, the performance relative to expectations, I think driving people, because last night's game, if you were there, that was a fun game, fun atmosphere. I mean, you're not gonna have a hat trick. Oh, yeah. You're not gonna have a hat trick every game though. But uh you know when you score what was it six with the empty netter, um, and you win uh, against a division rival, people are gonna have a good time. Uh, no matter what the weather is and all the other stuff. Yeah, our guy Isha Boy Bruce says uh, they built a minor league arena when the NHL was always coming back at some point. Very short sighted. Well, dude, first of all, I don't know. The NHL yeah. wasn't always coming back. I mean, listen, look if things at, went really well in Atlanta, you would think we got a team right now. No. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, we talk about supply and demand. There's another. I mean, the the best thing you can have to continuing the demand on your product it have is having some scarcity. Um, look at Edmonton's a perfect example. They built that massive arena and it is beautiful and it is fantastic. But I mean, it's not like you need to have season tickets to get into the building. Um, I mean, they've had, and this is before everything happened this year, routinely having five, 7,000 empty seats a night. So um, if you always know that if you want to go to the game, you can just walk up and get a ticket. Where's the incentive to buy season tickets? Because that is the backbone of these organizations. 
um, you know, it needs to be good value. They need to be delivering, you know, benefits that make it worthwhile to be a seasoned ticket holder. I mean, and the number one selling point is if you do have the scarcity of the ticket and the building is sold out, you have those seats. And of course, there'll be demand for them if you can't go. So there's a lot that goes into this. It's no easy fix. Uh, it's going to take some hard work. They've, uh, you know, had a decade of incredible support from people. Um, and now I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult, both because of what was inevitably coming, I think, with the market correction anyways, compounded potentially exponentially by everything that's happened with the um, with the pandemic so far. Hey, Remo, before we do the cool bet lines and finish up the program, can we quickly play this little bit from Bruce Boudreaux in his uh, in his um, presser yesterday? And, you know, we just had Dave Lowry and Dave Lowry seems to have a pretty dry sense of humor. Um, you know, he can deadpan a line. He did a couple yesterday, but I couldn't help but watching this laughing, first of all, because Bruce Boudreaux is such a beauty. And imagine if somebody decided to ask the same question to a Dave Lowry or a Paul Maurice. I'd imagine you'd probably get a little bit of a different answer, but uh, check this out. This is Smiling Bruce from yesterday's media availability for the coach and Van. All right, I have to ask you this question because it's off the page, but I was so impressed when you when you came out with the Canucks belt that you guys handed out. I want to ask you, give me your top five wrestlers, your favorite wrestlers of all time, because you have to be a wrestling fan. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Bret Hart's number one. I'm going with all Canadians here. Uh, Kevin Owens is number two. Um, well, at least the first two were Canadian anyway. Uh I, there was a guy when I was growing up named, I don't even know if it was his real name, his name was Johnny Powers. He started the the figure four, the first guy that I had saw that. And I liked him. But, uh, you know, I mean, who didn't like uh, Steve Austin uh, and The Rock? I mean, they were characters. They were great storytellers. And I think uh, the storylines were so good back then that they made it very interesting to watch. All right, so there is uh, is Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Boudreaux. And I'll say this, and this goes back to what we were talking about, maybe the Theo Seeger's point of, you know, the connection to the team. Sometimes people haven't felt that the same way. Vancouver has notoriously maybe one of the most negative fan bases around, and that's been a toxic market for the last couple of years. Listen, winning nine in a row out of the gate when he took the job certainly inspired everyone and got people on board. But that sort of thing that we just saw can help but create fans and have people feel more connected to the club. And uh, I got to tell you, shout out to Bruce for having Bret Hart and Kevin Owens at the top of his list. I laughed about that. And um, he is just an absolute beauty. Uh, I, though I did think if he was going to go down the Canadian wrestlers, considering of his age, I thought there might be an Iron Mike Sharp reference as Canada's greatest athlete, Remus. Yeah, and I mean, he's pretty up to date with current day wrestling. He was on NHL Network after he got hired asking about, um, I want it, was it the Royal Rumble? No, the Royal Rumble was last month. It was something else uh, a couple months ago. Uh, I don't remember which pay per view, but yeah, he's up to date. And we do have to give, I mean, we're on Winnipeg, so we do have to give a shout out to uh, Chris Jericho, uh, Kenny Omega, if you're going to talk about favorite favorite wrestlers. But uh, we, we love that clip. That was, that was so funny. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux, big WWE fan. When we have more time on the program, we'll do our top five or maybe top tens at some mm. point. But um, too much hockey to get to right now. A big game tonight. Let's get to the cool bet lines for this evening in the National Hockey League. And, of course, the Jets right back at it. 
Um, last night, they were a pretty significant home underdog. Tonight, they're a favorite, although not a huge favorite, despite playing a, a you know a Seattle team, although maybe people have seen the way the Jets have performed against some of the lower teams in the league. Um, they are on the second end of back-to-backs. It is minus 137 for the Winnipeg Jets and plus 116 for the Seattle Kraken. A busy night tonight, though, overall. Sends at Sabres. Sabres minus 132 faves. Uh, Blues, massive favorite, as everyone is in Montreal these days, minus 278. Rangers laying minus 200 against the Red Wings at home. Caps, minus 185 road favorites in Philly against the struggling Flyers. Oh, this would be a good one. Pittsburgh and the Leafs. Leafs at home, finally bringing some fans back in for the first time in a couple months. Minus 159 favorites for the Leafs. Bruins, Islanders. Islanders, a very slight home underdog in that, but a very close line. Uh, Blackhawks laying minus 123 at home against Line A and the Blue Jackets. And the uh, Oilers and Ducks going at it in Edmonton. Edmonton now uh, hot after the uh, firing of Dave Tippett, minus 238. And the final game, Bruce Boudreaux and his Canucks championship belt, minus 120. The Canucks in San Jose to take on the Sharks at plus 103. Um, and right now, by the way, you can take a look at these season bets. And, you know, we were speaking last week, Remo. I was kind of pumping the tires of the Flames at 25 and 23 to 1 just two weeks ago. Look at what's happened to that Calgary number in the last couple of weeks. They are now down to 15 to 1. It was 17 to 1 yesterday. People paying close attention to what Daryl Sutter has going on in Calgary. And, of course, we'll get a chance to see those Flames Monday afternoon when the Winnipeg Jets take on Calgary yeah. at the Saddle Dome. I want to add this in about Calgary, and I think, you know, they're a team last year that had high expectations and disappointed, and I think a lot of people who follow the Jets maybe see, well, look at Calgary, look what happened, you know, I thought they made a mistake not blowing it up and, you know, hiring Daryl Sutter, but I was clearly uh, very wrong, so I think that, you know, there is some sentiment here that, you know, maybe the Jets next year, you know, they were just a year early, who who knows, but Calgary is on fire, you know, winning, uh, you know, the, what they had the shutout a couple nights ago, you know, Dan Vladar comes in and plays well. And I thought he was great here in the preseason game. Markstrom last night, but it's a uh, Johnny Gaudreau, Lindholm Kachuk been a great top line for them. And they just got even more depth. You know, they signed Blake Coleman in the off season and now brought in uh, Tyler Toffoli. So uh, I agree. Watch out for Calgary, but they, you know, they lost the captain, Mark Giordano and, you know, the defense, doesn't seem to have missed a missed a beat here without well, it's him. But funny, but, yeah. and you'll remember. I mean, I spent you know all summer doing shows with Pat and Will out on 960 in Calgary and speaking you know mostly about the Flames. And I mean, the viewpoint of both many in the media as well as the fans was exactly what you just said. Get out the TNT and yes. blow it up. And um, Brad Treleving did not want to go that way. I think they felt that with Daryl Sutter coming in, they you know had the opportunity to get the most out of this club and. He deserves a ton of credit, and there's absolutely no replacement for big league goaltending. And Markstrom's season last year was weird. I mean, he had a great start. He got hurt, struggled in the middle of it, and actually played pretty well at the end of the year. Um, he's just been solid all season long. Um, Johnny Gaudreau in a contract year playing very well. Matthew Kachuk's got a lot to play for, and it all seems to be coming together for the Calgary Flames right now. Um, quickly curling tonight, uh, just after midnight, Brad Gushu. In the bronze medal match, minus 182 for Canada, plus 140 for Team USA. And uh, Bruce Moat, the favorite against Nicodine in the final. That's the following night, minus 143 for Great Britain, plus 110. Um, the playdowns for the curling women 
unfortunately, as we mentioned earlier in our Princess Auto Curling Report, will not include Canada and Team Jennifer Jones. It's Japan versus Switzerland. Switzerland, big favorite at minus 286. And Sweden, a more slight favorite against Eve Muirhead and the Great Britain squad. Right now, Switzerland plus 120 to win it. Sweden plus 235. Great Britain plus 325. And Japan, the long shot of the final four at plus 650. Uh, We will do a lock shop tomorrow at noon. So uh, if you would like to join myself and Dustin Nielsen tomorrow, check the Twitter feed. We'll fire it up live right around noon before another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. And you can always go to CoolBet. If you haven't played there before, use the promo code WST for a 100% deposit up to $200 on your initial deposit. Um, right back to the rink again tonight, Remo. I'm looking forward to seeing the Seattle Kraken for the first time. Yeah, back to back. I'm looking looking forward to that. Well, we saw them, sorry, first time in Winnipeg. We did see them earlier. Um, is that what you said? First time? I don't remember. Yeah, 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 first, yeah, the first, their yeah, first ever Mason, visit to Winnipeg. Mason Appleton, possibly a tribute video or possibly just a, just a one of these. Uh, welcome well, back to Winnipeg, Mason. I don't know what the I don't know what the odds are. I think it's just going to be a welcome back. He played for the played for the Moose and the Jets and put up some points. Welcome back, Mason. I don't think full full tribute video. Be, who knows? Maybe they could. I tell you what, Mason Appleton would look good in our hey, lineup right now. So they they didn't do anything for Kulikov when he came back, did they? I know. I, I think he played. Here I was before. joking, texting balls, saying, "Where's the big tribute video for Kulikov?" But you know, he'd actually, I think, been back already, like with New Jersey, maybe like mm. the two seasons before, not in the Canadian one. So uh, I'm not sure. But yes, there was a little <laughs> a little what's up to both Kulikov and Jordy Ben, mm. another former Winnipeg Jet at the Minnesota Wild game last week. Uh, but yes, it will be the first time Mason Appleton will be back to Winnipeg in his new uniform of the NHL's newest team, the Seattle Kraken. Uh, geez, we're past three o'clock. We got to get these pods up, folks. Enjoy the game tonight. Uh, and again, as Remus said, if you're on the fence, uh, the weather's ugly right now, but uh, there's some great deals on tickets over at Fans First. Use that site all the time. It's great. Um, so uh, maybe we'll see you at the game. If not, we will certainly see you tomorrow at one o'clock p.m. Ken Weeb's going to join us. We're going to do a special bit for Black History Month. Our pal Joe Piscucci, the incredible sports historian he is, has an amazing story on the first black player in Winnipeg Blue Bombers history. He's dug up some video for us, some old photos. So we'll do that, get his thoughts on the club as well. And, you know, with the team playing against Edmonton on Saturday, maybe we'll have to uh, squeeze a little Dustin Nielsen into the program as well. Um, All that being said, enjoy the game tonight. First things first, we'll see you back here at 1 o'clock tomorrow. Thanks again to all of our sponsors, including Cool Bet, Canadian Club, Nick and Nicky DQ, BP, Princess Auto, Little Brown Jug, Not Auto Corp, Royal Sports, Manitoba Battery, Culligan Water, Vita Health, and F Apparel. From Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Thanks to Murata Tesh. Thanks to Ian Mendez. Maybe see you tonight at the game. And if not, we'll catch you tomorrow at 1 o'clock right here on WST. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.